Good evening. Let's call to order the Planning Commission meeting of Monday, July 10th, 2023 at 7 o'clock p.m. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or comment, please use the raise hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time, and a random order voice vote will be administered by the recording officer for each vote. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please provide, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer in person, or use the raise hand feature online to request to speak at star nine on telephone. Location and teleconference meeting details are available on the agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live transcript button. Comments on matters not on the agenda must be submitted prior to the time I call on the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I close the public hearing on the agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments no more than three minutes, and time limits will be strictly enforced. Guidelines are posted on the city's website and on the meeting agenda. Please join me in the salute to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Recording officer, may we please have the roll call? Commissioner Cerrone. Present. Commissioner Howard. Here. Chair Pine. Present. Commissioner, Commissioner Davis. Present. Commissioner Shukla. Present. Vice Chair Iglesias. Present. Commissioner Howe. Present. We have seven commissioners present. Thank you. So that brings us to oral communications. Members of the public will now have an opportunity to address the Planning Commission on topics not listed on tonight's agenda. This section is limited to 15 minutes and may be extended or continued after the public hearing general business section of the agenda. Individuals are limited to one appearance with a maximum of up to three minutes per speaker. As a reminder to the public, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer, raise your digital hand now, or dial star nine on telephone if you wish to address the planning commission. I will call members of the public participating in person first, then the recording officer will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it is their turn to address the planning commission. Speakers will have three minutes to speak and the timer will be displayed on the screen. I have no in-person speaker cards. Does anyone wish to speak under oral communications before I hear from remote speakers? If not, recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? Not at this time, Chair. Thank you. I will go ahead and close oral communications. That brings us to the consent calendar. I will go ahead and open public comment on consent calendar items. Members of the public wishing to address the Planning Commission, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer. Use the raise hand feature now or dial star nine on telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I'll call members of the public participating in person first. Then the recording officer will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it is their turn to address the Planning Commission. Speakers will have three minutes to speak and the entire will be displayed on the screen. I have no speaker cards on the consent calendar. Recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? We do not, Chair. Thank you. Uh, I will now ask for a motion for my colleagues. Uh, Commissioner Howard. Move the consent calendar. Uh, thank you. Uh, the chair will second that motion. Uh, 
Recording officer, please conduct a roll call vote on the consent calendar. Vice Chair Iglesias. Yes. Commissioner Howell. Abstain. Chair Pine. Yes. Commissioner Davis. Yes. Commissioner Cerrone. Yes. Commissioner Howard. Yes. And Commissioner Shukla. Yes. The motion passes with six yeses and one abstention from Commissioner Howell. Thank you. That brings us to the public hearings general business portion of tonight's agenda. Our first item is item 23-0655, continued from May 22nd, 2023. Proposed project, appeal of a decision by the zoning administrator denying a variance to legalize an existing 189 square foot detached accessory structure in the rear yard of a single family property. The 10 inch side setback where four feet minimum is required and a seven foot rear yard setback where 10 feet minimum is required. Location is 425 for Bryan Avenue. The zoning is R2 low medium density residential. Is there a staff report? Yes, thank you, Chair Pine and members of the commission. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, Good. you're a little quiet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have a red ring, but better. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'll get I'll get super close here. Uh, we're here to discuss the appeal of the zoning administrator denial of planning application 2022-7714 at four two four Bryan Avenue. Uh, next slide, please. This uh, item was first heard on, on May 22nd, as was discussed. The project uh, address, the site location is 424 Bryan Avenue, uh, which is a single family home property uh, in an R2 zoning district. Uh, the, the particulars of this application concern the accessory structure that's pictured in the uh, northeastern corner of the property. Next slide, please. The original request for this variance uh, arose out of a neighborhood preservation case for the reconstruction of this structure, which apparently has been there for some time. Um, the applicant submitted justifications for the variance, which included are summarized here, limited site options due to the pool that exists in the backyard and other structures. Uh, the fact that there are no privacy impacts imposed by this structure onto neighboring properties and uh, that a legally constructed accessory structure um, would meet, uh, I'm sorry, would be more imposing to neighbors than this one that exists due to the increased setbacks that would be required. Next slide. As discussed, this uh, application was first uh, presented at a public hearing at the zoning administrator level on March 1st. The ZA could not make the required findings and denied the variance based on the recommended findings. The item was then appealed within the 15-day appeal period and was heard at the May 22nd Planning Commission meeting. There was a discussion of the permit history of the property, the setback requirements for accessory structures, and also uh, some discussion of a history of variances both in this neighborhood and uh, in, in Sunnyvale at large. The item was ultimately continued to tonight, and that's why we're here. To recap a bit of the permit history for this parcel, there have been no planning permits um, on record for this property. However, there was a 540 square foot rear yard pool constructed with a building permit in 1995. Uh, that permit expired. 
And uh, there was also a 480 square foot rear yard addition legally constructed and finaled in 1999. There were various other uh, cosmetic changes and other, other building permits for minor things, but those were the two applications that stood out. And like I said, there have been no other planning permits on record. To summarize the required findings for variance, all three must be met. The first is that because of exceptional circumstances on the property, the strict application of the ordinance deprives the property owner of privileges enjoyed by other nearby properties. The second is that the variance will not be detrimental to nearby properties. And the third is that the variance will not grant special privileges not enjoyed by nearby property owners. Staff has found consistently throughout these last two hearings that the first and third findings are not able to be met for this application. Uh, the, for the first one, the subject parcel is similar to adjacent properties and is not constrained by floor area ratio, lot coverage, or configuration. The second is met, the accessory structure has not been materially detrimental to public welfare or injurious to adjacent properties. The third, many properties in the vicinity are developed similarly in configuration. Uh, and though there are a few uh, accessory structures on those properties that exceed the standards of the zoning code, um, there have been no variances granted and therefore granting a variance for the subject property in this case would constitute a special privilege. So the alternatives proposed tonight, the first to deny the appeal and uphold the decision of the zoning administrator, which would be to deny the variance. The second is to grant the appeal and approve the variance subject to conditions of approval. The third is to grant the appeal and modify those conditions. Staff's recommendation is to deny the appeal and uphold the decision of the zoning administrator and therefore deny the variance for the accessory structure. I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you. And as a reminder to my colleagues, please use the raise hand Zoom feature to indicate that you wish to speak. Uh, first up is Commissioner Howe. Thank you, Chair. Um, when this was originally heard, there was only four planning commissioners here that evening, and uh, three individuals were not of the planning commission. And at that um, hearing, the applicant or the appellant talked about that there was a problem with just one of the three items. And I believe the chair said that he listened to the recordings of the meeting of the uh, um, hearing um, where the permit was denied and that there was only one item that um, the zoning administrator had a problem with. As a result of that, the applicant was not prepared to talk about two of them, but only one, and the staff report talked about two, as stated here tonight. I felt it was unfair with the zoning administrator and the chair having listened to it saying that there was one only one issue, uh, one of the three being present at that zoning hearing, that they should get a chance to come back and have another bite at the apple so that they would be prepared to talk about any of the three, not just the one that had come up. Chair, do you remember stating that um, there was only one item? It is my recollection of watching the zoning administrator hearing, and I'll I will caveat that it was fresher in my memory at that time than it is tonight. That is tonight, but uh, I but my recollection of the zoning administrator hearing was the zoning administrator saying that she could make the second finding, and she was 
pretty sure she and she felt that she there was a strong likelihood that she could make the third finding, but ultimately she was unable to make the first finding. Thank you. So with all that being said, I thought it was it had to be fair and they'd have to, had to have due process. And that's why it was that's why I made the motion to continue it. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Davis. A uh, simple question for staff. Um, what are the setback requirements on R2? For an accessory structure that exceeds eight feet in height, which this one does, the required setback is the zoning setback, the same as the main house, in this case, four feet, and uh, 10 feet from the rear property line, four feet from the side and 10 feet from the rear. And the application, what's the setback on it? The applicant requested a 10 inch side yard setback where four feet is required and a seven foot rear yard setback where 10 feet is required. Thank you. That's all my questions. Thank you, Commissioner Davis. Next up is Commissioner Howard. And the chair would note that on his Zoom display, there are two Commissioner Howards, which is slightly bizarre, but uh, Commissioner Howard. All right. Well, thank you, Chair. Uh, uh, I I just, just as a note, I pulled up the minutes for the zoning administrator and what I've got here is Ms. King states that where there might, there might be an argument for the project to meet finding two and three, finding one is clearly not met. So that's what we've got uh, coming in from the previous body. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, next up is Commissioner Cerrone. Uh, I just had a quick question about the existing, there is an existing structure there. And uh, is there something wrong with that that needs to be replaced or? Yeah, it was my understanding that there was some damage to the structure. The applicant can probably speak more to that, um, but it needed to be reconstructed in the same footprint as, as was existing. Um, and that's when the neighborhood preservation case was initiated. Okay, yeah. Thank you. And, and the rear setback is not a PG&E setback, right? Correct. I, I'm not aware of any easements or anything in the, in the rear yard. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Shukla. Thank you. Um, I have a question of um, the setback requirements. If the property builds um, ADU, like there is already existing ADU, and I was under the impression it's R3 or it's R2 zone, so they can only build one ADU and one JDU. So if they build it, let's say a new one, is there a setback requirements or there is, uh, they can build all the way on the property? Yes, most, most new ADUs have a four foot minimum setback as well. The only exception would be in certain circumstances where a, a, a structure is converted to an ADU, an existing structure could be converted to an ADU with a reduced setback if it was a legally built structure. Um, but generally new detached and attached ADUs need at least a four foot setback. So, for example, like the, if there is existing ADU, if they could have converted that as a main house and then they build this as a ADU, then it would have been approved. I'm, I'm not sure. Could you re repeat the question? Uh, I mean, this is because they already have ADU, correct? There, there was a separate application to convert the garage to an ADU. Yes. Yeah. But that has not been approved yet. So for the it purposes of approved. this application, there is no ADU on the site. 
Oh, there is no ADU. Correct. So if they would have built this as a base point and added some square footage, it could have been a ADU application if they knew or something like that. If this had been permitted as a new ADU, it would have needed a four foot setback. So they will have to, even the existing structure. Because I was just reading somewhere, but maybe I'm wrong that if there is R3, R3 zoning, they can they are allowed to use no setback, like very close, like zero setback with uh, multifamily homes. These are the new state requirements in some cities. So I was just curious to find out about that. I, in, I believe the only circumstance where an ADU could have a zero setback is if it was some kind of pre-existing legally built structure that was then converted uh, to be an ADU. Some kind of other accessory structure or, or garage perhaps could be converted to an ADU with a zero setback. But uh, in this case, we have no evidence that this uh, structure was legally built and therefore uh, are requiring it to meet the minimum setbacks. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Vice Chair Glacius. Thank you, Chair. Um, just, I actually had a pretty similar point as Commissioner Shukla, and my understanding of the new law for ADUs as well, and I understand that this is not, but this could be a potential path forward, but that um, every, effectively every property in California is entitled to build a, um, a detached ADU and that setbacks can't be used uh, for minimum size. So I, it, it could potentially be a path forward, but just based off of what Commissioner Shukla said, and I'm not challenging your interpretation, I have my understanding it's a different interpretation. So it's probably something that would be worth getting to ground to make sure that we're aligned. Thank you. Thank you. And next up is Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Chair. Uh, correct, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding from the previous hearing was that um, as an accessory structure, there are greater setback requirements. As an ADU, there would be much less setback requirements. And that's kind of the trade-off. Um, an ADU would be substantially more expensive to construct because you've got to run the utilities and all that stuff. So uh, the, the setback requirements that are lesser for the ADU are in a way an incentive to encourage somebody who might want to build a structure that has less setback well, you know, you can't do it as an accessory structure, but if you build it as an ADU, whether you're going to use it as an ADU or not, you've got an ADU on the property. And at some point, you've got an additional uh, unit in the city that could be used as a housing, if that's my understanding. Yeah, I, I think I tracked with what you were saying. Like I said, the minimum setbacks for all ADUs are detached four feet side and rear. In this case, the accessory structure we're looking at technically has a setback of four feet on the side and 10 feet in the rear. So it, it is a six foot difference for that rear yard setback if you were to build a detached ADU. Um, there are other zoning districts that have greater setbacks for accessory structures, like the R1, for example, would require six on the side and 10 in the rear. So it's a little bit different. That would be for an accessory structure. The four and four would be the same for an ADU. So just as an example. Um, but yes, generally, the ADUs can be closer to the property line than sometimes the zoning would allow, typically. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Shukla. Microphone. I should have asked um, along with it, but I was just also, I want to know uh, the use. The There is a setback. is one of the rules to, to help neighbors, like from privacy, those kind of issues and legal issues. Um, but now the privacy issue, uh, we, I mean, we just follow the rules. We don't go case by case. 
even though privacy is not an issue or something, just like I'm curious to use, like you you have accessory structures where um, if it's tall, when it's obstructive um, and there is a use of like, just people have a play, like remember play structure, the kids play structure, which is not tall. I was just, I mean, do we have all these different, um, uh, different codes uh, within the same code about those things? We don't necessarily discriminate the setbacks for accessory structures based on the use that exists. Their accessory structure is defined in the municipal code. Normally, it's something that's a less intense use than the main house. It could be storage. It could be sometimes uh, office space, other things. Um, play structures typically don't trigger any kind of accessory structure regulations. Um, so that that's a little bit different. Uh, but um, it is a pretty broad definition of an accessory structure. So we don't discriminate too much by the particular use that exists uh, normally when we're processing accessory structures. Although I will say the variance findings do somewhat uh, weigh the type of use of the structure, I would say. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, first of all, thank you for the updated staff report. I very much appreciated, especially getting the zoning administrator minutes. I don't think we had that one on the, on the previous staff report. Uh, but uh, just one quick clarification, just on the pool construction. You say there was, uh, basically there was no final inspection, the permit subsequently expired. So does that mean the pool was not constructed in accordance with Sunnyvale codes? I don't know if if I can say whether or not it was constructed to Sunnyvale codes. All it shows in the permit history is expired. Okay, so I'm just trying I'm just trying to get a baseline on how because I know there was a you have a recommended condition of approval about basically using the 1995 permit, and I'm just trying to because and the reason I'm going in this is that when I was looking through kind of the history of similar variances, whether or not it involved an existing legally permitted structure was oftentimes a fact, a significant factor in previous planning commission decisions. So that's why I'm kind of pressing on that. Yeah, so it was, it was permitted originally. So we would assume that it was built to code standards at that time. Uh, it was just never finaled, so that's that's kind of the main thing. So technically, it has expired. If you don't have the final inspection, then it's, um, you know, is uh, considered legal. But um, you know, there is a process that the applicant can work with building division to reopen that permit and you know take a look at everything again and and try to get it finalized so it's back to being legal again. Okay, thank you. And seeing no other questions from commissioners, I will go ahead and open the public hearing on this specific item. Uh, members of the public wishing to address the planning commission, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer, use the raise hand feature now, or dial star nine on telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call members of the public participating in person first, and then the recording officer will ask remote participants to unmute why it is their turn to address the planning commission. There is one applicant slash appellant uh, 10 minutes is provided at the beginning of the public hearing to address the planning commission, along with five minutes at the end of the public hearing. Is there an applicant presentation? 
Okay. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Thomas Moser. I'm the owner of 44 Brian Avenue. Uh, could you tilt the microphone yep. slightly up? Can you hear me? Yep, that's yep. better. Um, I have a quite extensive presentation, but before I jump in, I want to thank the commission again to give us a second chance here tonight uh, for presenting our variance request. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with the project, uh, I'll give you a quick introduction here. In 2020, we replaced an existing accessory structure that was uh, structurally damaged and really beyond repair. And we replaced it with a structure at the very same spot. We reduced it in size, we reduced it in height, and we made it much more appealing uh, in the design. Uh, since we touched a, and modified a legal non-conforming structure, we had to get a variance um, or we have to tear it down, right? And in the process of working with the city, um, we have presented two variances that have been approved in the past that are exactly the same uh, variance request that we have today. Uh, next slide, please. Um, let's jump quickly into uh, the, uh, the details here. Here, um, I have a, um, an aerial overview. On the left-hand side, you can see the property uh, in its original um, um, form. Uh, the right bottom down there, you can see the, the original structure. In the middle uh, picture, you can see the new structure. It's exactly in the very same spot. Um, our house, our lot is about 7,300 square feet. The lot is a little bit narrower than the other lots, 48 feet. The house is 1,400 square feet and the garage 400. The old structure had about 210 square feet and nine and a half feet height. The new structure now has 189 square feet and is nine feet high and uh, nine feet high. Um, I put a third picture there so you can see that we have a flat roof. We did this so that there's less impact to our neighbors. Um, but also you can see that the roof has quite a bit of an overhang of four and three feet on three sides. So that adds quite a bit of um, roof size. And so on the aerial view, it might look a little bit bigger than the old one, but uh, the surface size is not bigger than the old one. Um, next slide, please. In this picture, you can see the structure as it is right now. Uh, you can see it's actually uh, quite nice in design. And we got actually uh, compliments from our neighbors about it. But I also want you to focus on the green area in front of it, right? This is the only remaining free area that we have in our backyard. You can see on the side there, this is the pool is uh, taking up most of the space in the backyard. And you can see the green area that, I mean, there's the soccer net there. It's not that big, right? Uh, that we can still use there. If you, and well, by the way, the reason I'm bringing this up is because the question that came up during the planning meeting, why have you not put it somewhere else on the property, right? Well. There's really no space there unless I want to, I don't want to use my backyard anymore, right? And we again replaced it at the exact same spot where the old one was. If you jump to the next slide, please. So let's talk about this alternative. Was there, was there really an alternative? You can see the backyard is about 2,500 square feet, but 1,800 square feet of this, of this area is taken up by, by, the, by the pool. At least maybe 700 square feet. Um, if we take all the, the setbacks into consideration, that area shrinks to a size of 300, about 350 square feet that I can use. And this would be this uh, narrow um, uh, band that would basically eat into my existing uh, free area. And um, I would not be able to use the, the, my backyard anymore. Um, and by the way, nobody else in Sunnywell is doing this. Everybody puts the accessory structure in the corner of the lot because where it makes the most sense, right? And that's why our the previous owner did the same thing. The, the accessory structure was in the corner of the lot. 
And uh, I'm gonna show you in a few pictures uh, later in a few slides that um, everybody in, in our in immediate vicinity does it too. If you jump to the next slide, please. Um, but first I wanna talk about the two um, variances that we presented to the CV. First is La Bella Avenue. It's the exact same situation, um, variance request that we have in our case. You can see at the top there, um, on the right-hand side, there's the accessory structure. It's 140 square feet in size and 12 feet in height. And the owners put it there in the corner with reduced side setbacks and, and rear setbacks. Um, I'm not quite sure what the difference is to this variance and ours, but this one was approved, ours was denied. There's no pool in there, no obstruction anywhere on the, on the property to put it anywhere else. Um, the variance was granted with the argument, many of the structures are considered legal non-conforming. Granting of the variance would not constitute a special privilege. In our case, apparently constitutes a special privilege. I don't know why. Um, next slide, please. The second one was South Francis Street. In this case, a garage was built instead of accessory structure. Again, the owner argued that there's a, um, um, a redwood tree on the property and it doesn't allow them to build anywhere else. And the zoning administrator followed that argumentation. They said the location size of the structure allows the property owners to protect the existing redwood tree. So the existing redwood tree in this case was a extraordinary circumstance to the property, but our pool is not. I don't understand the difference. And the granting of the variance did not constitute a special privilege. Uh, let's talk about this special privilege. If you jump to the next slides. And we'll talk about the neighborhood building pattern. Thank you. So this is two, two lots down from our property. You can see accessory structure with no setbacks. Next one, please. This is on the other side of the street, accessory structures with no setbacks. Next one. Accessory structures, two accessory structures with no setbacks. Next one. Accessory structures, no setbacks. Next one. Accessory structures, no setbacks. And by the way, all these pictures here, they are taken in a thousand feet radius max. This is not Sunnyvale, big Sunnyvale. This is in our immediate vicinity. Uh, next slide, please. Huge structure in the back, no setbacks. Next slide. Oops, fancy. Um, accessory structures, no setbacks. Again. And this is probably my favorite one. This is again, you can see our pulled up there. This is two lots down again on the other side. This is a two story building with no setbacks. I would like to see the variance for this one. Um, next one. And this is the view from our property. This is our neighbor's um, accessory structure, right smack next to our uh, fence. We have no problem with that. It makes sense to put it there. Next one. So the conclusion is the following for us. We simply replaced an existing accessory structure that was damaged and beyond repair. That was a safety concern with a new one at the very same spot where the old one was. We made the footprint smaller. We reduced the height. We made it safer and we improved the design. Nothing else changed. Really nothing else changed. Um, and the zoning administrator agreed actually with us that the accessory structure, the previous one was there for years and had no impact to the neighbors. You can see this, read this in the findings of the second uh, criterion. Unfortunately, that's where he deviates then because they are not talking about the building pattern in the in this heritage district at all in our, in our variance um, denial. There's no mentioning of that every house in the heritage district has an accessory structure in the back. 
in the corner of the backyard. And unfortunately, they also have ignored that the pool in our mind is an extraordinary circumstance. A tree was an extraordinary circumstance that allowed the owner to build a, a, um, a sensory structure in the back. Why not a pool? I can't just think um, there's no pool on my property. The argument in, in, the, in the finding was the far is 27% of the property. That's true if I only look at the house and the garage, but what am I doing with the pool? I can't just think it away. It's not disappear, right? And then the other variants have considered the desire to enjoy the backyard of the owners. In our case, this was not the case at all. Um, so really what, I'm, what we're asking here, and I don't know if it's, I don't think it's too much. We just wanna have a fair and equal treatment like the other variants are requesters and not being forced to tear our accessory structure down. Because what we asked ourselves during the process, and I guess what you ask, have to ask yourself too is, what is a homeowner supposed to do if there's an existing legal non-conforming structure that needs renovation? Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, and uh, well, I will, I'll, if, if any commissioners have uh, questions for the applicant, uh, please use the raise hand feature. Uh, Commissioner Davis. Thank you, Chair. Uh, when you bought the house, um, I'm asking you to jog your memory a little bit. Um, was were there any mentions in the disclosures about the building or the pool um, and the permit? No, uh, no, I don't remember about the okay. pool at all. No. So, well, we bought the house in 2013. Um, everything was already on the property. The old structure was there. It was already substantial damage on one side. Uh, it was a significant water damage. We fixed it temporarily, but. Okay, but no disclosures about non-conforming or no or anything like that. Okay. Um, can I ask a question of staff now, or go for it? Uh, so the 1995 permit would that have included the building as well, or just the pool? There is no mention of the building in any part of the permit history. That that permit was just a building permit for the pool. It it, it most likely would have mentioned the building had that been a part of the permit. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Jared. Just to clarify, based on the appellant's uh, presentation, is the city asking him to remove the structure that's unpermitted? The city needs the structure to either be conforming to the zoning code or to be removed. Okay. If he if he had not requested a variance, would the city be aware of the condition and be taking any action one way or another? The, this file started as a neighborhood preservation case based on the construction, and that needs to be resolved uh, regardless of this variance application. So, so someone, someone not the applicant initiated paperwork with the city? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? How, 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 did, how did this matter come to the attention of the city? Was it the was it the appellant or was it a member of the community or was it? Uh... A member of the community, to my understanding, filed a neighborhood preservation case uh, and the applicant was therefore asked to submit a variance application or remove the structure or make it conforming with the zoning code. Uh, and they, they chose to go the variance route. That is valuable context. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Vice Chair Glacius. Hi, thanks. I uh, first wanted to uh, thank you for the presentation. A couple questions. Uh, first, um, the one that you shared about 136 La Bella. Mm -hmm. um, so that one's two miles from your residence, correct? It, yeah, it's very close. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It's... Okay. And the reason I say that, so I, I interpret two miles is not very, you know, not to disagree, but yeah. not as close. Um, yeah. The reason why, the reason why I asked that is 
you, you mentioned off several. And also when I read through this, because I pulled up the variance and yeah. I was reading yeah. through it. And, and to me, um, I see consistency and I see similarities. Mm -hmm. um, but for the other, you mentioned a lot of other properties as well. Yeah. I wasn't able to write all of those down. What, when you were determining um, properties that were in and around your neighborhood, yeah. what did you, what, what were the determinants? What was the distance? Oh, um, it was a radius of a thousand feet. This was really the heritage. Just is, this, is that your question? But it has so. But if if the thirteen sixty was thirteen sixty, if that's no, no. This the variances are uh, um, the um, um, South Francis Street is in the heritage district. The Labella is not in the heritage district. Okay. Oh, the photos that I shared were in our neighborhood. Um, so this, the third criterion is right that uh, you're being granted a special privilege that other homeowners uh, don't enjoy. What I basically wanted to point out is in the entire neighborhood, the building pattern is such that there is a, a garage and an accessory structure on the property usually. And um, they are close, they're basically at the fence line for everybody. But then I have uh, two follow-up questions and I'll just direct since it's similar to the conversation to the city as well. Um, first, um, are there other properties that are facing the same situation in and around that neighborhood? Staff is not aware of any variance applications in the neighborhood. Okay. And second one is, so I see that the variance for Labella was approved in 2014. Have there been changes to the code between 2014 and now? I'm not sure I have the full history, but I don't believe so. Not in terms of variances. Those stay the same. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair. Next up is Commissioner Cerrone. Um, just uh, to be clear, um, so you you have already built the structure, yeah. And did you build it knowing it was not conforming to the setbacks? No. No, I mean, again, we put it at the same place where the old one was. We didn't think it was a problem. The um, the setback you're measuring, looking at the picture of the structure. Uh, is that maybe it's a question for staff how it should be measured? Is it measured to the roof or to the wall of the structure? Since the roof appears to extend, it's measured to the wall, and that's your assumption too. Right? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and but and before I give commissioners a second crack, I'm going to ask a couple. Uh, I. At the previous, at the May 22nd meeting, I mentioned uh, the variance request on April 24th, 2017 at 635 Toyon relating yeah. to a pool location. And in that and that case, the planning commission denied the variance request. Uh, right. Have you, you made some arguments relating to the existing pool, but did you give any thought to how we would, we could distinguish, distinguish this case of a pool being being a unique circumstance versus the versus the item on April twenty fourth, twenty seventeen. Yeah. So I actually looked up that that when you brought this up, I looked it up. I was like, oh, did we miss a variance? Um. So what that case was about? Um, the property owner wanted to build a second story, and um, they wanted an ex uh, a variance for um the side and front um setback of the second story. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly. But they basically wanted to have a, a box instead of um, um, uh, the second story to be put in um, a little bit on the inside of the house. I'm not sure if I can explain this right. But it had nothing to do with the pool, right? It, it only had something to do with the side setback of the house uh, 
of the second story and then the front setback. Okay. So the pool itself was not really the, the uh, gating factor in this case. Okay. That was my understanding. Uh, second question, uh, re relating to the properties that you showed us, do you have any information on when those structures were constructed? Um, the, the so the house was, uh, I think it was built in 1950. Uh, the garage must have been, I don't know, must have been built at the same time, maybe later. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not like, I'm not referring to your property. I'm oh. referring to the neighboring ones you showed us. And the reason I'm asking oh, for yeah. it is that, like, I see in a lot of these variance applications, language along the lines of this was legally not conforming because yeah. it was because the structure was erected before this was annexed to the city. And yeah. therefore, it's and therefore it was not created under city code, et cetera, et cetera. So, what I'm trying to square away is were, are those like old structures that predate the setbacks or are those actually recent, more recent structures that were maybe provided with a variance? Maybe they are just not supposed to be there. I'm just trying to iron those out, that out. Uh, so uh, my answer would be, I don't know. Considering that the heritage district is quite old itself, I would think that a lot of those structures have been built a long time ago. I would think so, so as ours, right? So I think they have the same problem. Yeah, there was like, there is a, I went through, I, there was some in the May 22nd meeting, I don't think it's actually in the current staff report, but I know, but it was, there was a memo, there was a thing with the previous memo from staff on the previous meeting that kind of went into some of the variance history in the neighborhood. And okay. was, I'm just trying to iron that out because I, I do think it matters whether I do think it matters whether we're talking about legal not existing legal non-conforming or not legal non-conforming is kind of yeah. my thinking. I, I think um this uh, legal non-conforming um issue is a widespread problem in the heritage district. Uh, if you walk around the properties you can see everywhere uh, that you have the same building structures that we have on our property. This is nothing new or outstanding for us. Yep. Uh, next up is Commissioner Howard. Uh, thank you again, Chair. Uh, so to clarify, in, the applicant, in, in, all, in all the examples that you cited of other neighbors who have their structures that are not compliant, have any of those received variances to your, to your knowledge? I don't know. Okay. So I can tell you, so I didn't want to jump in when you asked the question before, but who 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 filed the complaint? It was our neighbor, obviously. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the staff report, I was described as a um, as a property with um, uh, a house in the front and a, a, a garage in the back. Yeah. Well, the garage in the back is not a garage. I can tell you that. So, so to clarify, uh, all the, so it is not uncommon in in this city that somebody's got a, a structure on their property that's non-conforming. It can. Are, are are all these structures that are in the city, are they vulnerable to somebody filing a, a complaint and, and then being needed to be removed? Well, it's difficult to say writ large. I would say this neighborhood in particular has old homes that were developed with detached garages in the rear yard, yeah. many of which do not conform to current zoning standards. But it's impossible to know. Looking at the photos, it's also clear that there could be accessory structures that were built legally at an eight foot height or less with a legal zero setback. That's all that the applicant needed to do here was reduce the height by one foot and they could be on the property line. Right we on. gave them that option. They chose to go the variance and required to conform with the zoning setback. So it's impossible to say whether all these structures that are in the rear yards are uh, are legal 
non-conforming or not. Many of them are very old. Many may be constructed legally. With that's actually uh, so because I'm looking at the so with the eight foot height, does it have to also be at less than 120 square feet, or is that a... yes, eight foot height and less than 120 square feet? Okay, cool. Um, so, and then does it so when somebody files a neighborhood preservation complaint, does it matter that it's new construction or can a, a, an old structure? If it if it looks like it's non-compliant, somebody could file a complaint. Generally, we look for the permit history to see if there is record of the structure in the floor area, in any plans, in any documentation that's been uh, permitted on the property. Would it, would it make a difference? Like it, it's a structure that's been sitting in the backyard for fifty years, or five years, or five months, or it it wouldn't make a difference if we can't confirm that it was oh, built legally. Okay, yeah. So so as long as if if somebody's out of compliance and there's a complaint then it needs to be remediated is 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 the deal correct cool thank you thank you next up is questioner Cerrone. um thank you maybe maybe i'm asking the same thing but but if they had left the old structure there they would it would be the same problem uh, assuming a complaint had been filed correct there's no permit history for this structure was there a uh, well okay maybe it doesn't make any difference i was going to say was there a foundation in the what was the old structure completely replaced or yeah. the foundation too no but we, we had to fix the foundation the foundation was broken uh so we had to fix the foundation but then we just built at the same spot okay i just wondering if there's a way to characterize it as a repair but it doesn't sound like there is all right thank you thank you next up is commissioner Howe. thank you um, the appellant put in a building permit request, I assume. Has the city's looked at this structure and does it comply with this building code other than setbacks? There's been no building permit filed for this structure. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Glacius. Thank you. Uh, two things. First, um, when I did look up the um, the previous address, I, I did want to just clarify that it does. It's not a zero setback. It was four and a half feet by four and a half feet, and that was for a thirteen forty eight Labella. But my second point is actually for the city, um, and that's for the variance. Um, and when I look at the map for the block between Lincoln and Bryan, um, as the applicant has identified, I don't see. I would say that 90% of the properties all have a, a, a accessory dwelling or accessory unit right on the property line, zero property line. In fact, it would look like they would be the ones that are there that are the oddball for the block by not having one. Isn't it? Doesn't it's hard to um to digest that? Yeah, st staff acknowledged in the staff report that there are existing structures in this neighborhood which are probably non-conforming, but as I was trying to explain, we can't confirm unless we go on a case-by-case -case basis whether or not these are legal or not. A lot of times based on the permit history, other times based on the height and the area that would dictate the required setbacks. We would need to really look at each one of them individually to know what the trend is overall. Sure, and, and I hear you on that, but um, it sounds like we're gonna be making a decision before a trend has been determined because as I look at this, my, my eyes aren't lying to me. It's not just there are some, there are many. And um, it's very hard. It would be a whole lot easier if I just closed my laptop to take this case a little bit differently. Um, but but seeing this, it's very hard for me to, to think that um, if I was an applicant, I would, I would feel 
singled out. So I don't know. I can't. I gotta get move. I gotta move beyond that. Yeah, I there's. I don't think there's much that I can answer there. But um, yeah, it, it's a tricky neighborhood. These are older homes on narrow lots, and they were built with detached structures in the back originally. Um, and the zoning code was, you know, they were likely annexed and the zoning code was adopted at that point. And whether or not they were made non-conforming as soon as they were annexed, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but we're looking at this particular application and this permit history and these setbacks. And that's what we are presenting. Thank you. Thank you. And I have no other commissioner questions at this time. So I'm going to move to members of the public. Um, Speakers will have three minutes to speak and the timer will be displayed on the screen. I have no speaker cards. Uh, is anybody in the room interested in speaking on this agenda item before we hear from remote speakers? I know a couple people walked in while we were doing this item. Okay. Uh, recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? Not at this time, Chair. Okay, uh, so we will go back to the applicant appellant. You have uh, five minutes for any closing remarks you wish to make, address from comments made by others, et cetera. Yeah, uh, yeah hi, um, I'm um, Thomas's wife and I was just picking up our daughter. You might've seen some pictures of her soccer goal in the backyard. Um, so I wasn't here, but I, I can, probably just having been through this journey over the past uh, three years, you know, one of the things that kind of, you know, weighed on my mind as we've been residents of Sunnyvale for over 10 years now, and we plan to be here for quite a while, uh, is that, you know, throughout the process um, and what's happened, you know, our main focus was actually to actually preserve the beauty um, of our neighborhood and preserve the privacy of our neighbors. And as you might've heard from Thomas, um, you know, we had, you know, <laughs> We, we we had options to, you know, let's build a second story on the back of our of our yard. It's it's zoned for that, but we actually decided because we love the neighborhood and we want to keep a lot of the beauty to not do some of these things. So, I guess throughout this entire uh, process, we've been trying to think also what what could we have really done differently and what was really maybe fair to us as well. Um, and you know, the other piece is as this as I heard some of the questioning. Uh, that that the council was bringing up is, you know, not only as homeowners, but as as a continued issue that Sunnyvale is going to have. Um, there's a lot, a lot of buildings, as you as you've seen, that are in the backyards like this. There's a lot of these structures that are going to need to be repaired over time. And there's not a lot of options for other um, for owners like us in our backyard to make other decisions that are good for the neighborhood and also comply with a lot of what we've seen as as the building regulations. So um i guess uh maybe just in part of your consideration is is that we you know we we really tried to do the right thing here in terms of our neighbors not just for ourselves and we just don't see a lot of other options for other other people in the neighborhood that we know are are struggling with the same decisions and maybe just haven't been the, the situation hasn't been elevated but we could very equally point out many many other structures that would be subject to the same type of hearing here for all of you and and the same types of um uh issues that we're experiencing so maybe in consideration is is not just for us but what does the city really want to decide for this continued problem that's going to happen and the city's just trying to do their job right in terms of upholding the code and the compliance but i think this kind of 
kind of goes beyond that. And what's really the, what really do we want for our neighborhoods? What really do we want for, you know, our communities um, that's going to struggle continuously with this issue? Um, so thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, with that, I will close the public hearing. And I will now ask for discussion or motion from my colleagues. And I'm actually going to kick things off with a question to staff. Uh, have we received any more communication from members of the public since the May 22nd hearing? Staff has not received any further communication from the public. Thank you. Vice Chair Glacius. Thank you, Chair. Um, first, I wanted to just thank staff for the work um, in working to preserve the community and be fair and be consistent. Um, that being the case, um, as I look at this particular case, there, there are several things that I would pose to my fellow commissioners. One, I personally do not think that we're prepared to bring in every single one of these homeowners one by one in this community to try and get alignment. Um, that doesn't seem like the right path forward for the community, in my opinion. Um, second, um, I, it's important for, in my opinion, that the commission that we preserve the community, that we protect, um, you know, the community of, of Sunnyvale, um, but that we don't, the commission itself isn't weaponized um, within the community against any individuals, um, which I'm not convinced isn't necessarily happening and not from the city, to be clear. Um, and then lastly, when I look at this case, I don't see how what is being proposed deprives the neighborhood of anything. I think that it is since we don't, since there's, we're in a operating in a facility in a, in a in a space that maybe has a lot of non-compliance, but what is existing there does seem to be of nicer nature, um, and I don't see how having that that small pool shed at the end of their property is depriving anyone. It's not visible from the front. I, I don't. I'm I'm just not convinced that this is the right move for the planning commission. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Chair. And this, uh, thank you, Commissioner Iglesias. Uh, I'll, I'm taking maybe a different angle on here. Uh, I wrote down, as a homeowner, I understand this, uh, if I build something on my property without permits, I'm taking a risk that some that the city is going to come say, oh, you're, you're done. And in this case, the applicant built an unpermitted structure and someone complained, and now you've got to deal with this headache. So, I, I I feel you, but I also understand like, yeah, um, I, I see that there are options here. Uh, a, if you if you do a 120 square foot structure that's eight feet tall, you've got zero setback requirements. You can stick that in the corner and you're 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 done. Uh, you could go for an ADU that and you've got the four foot setbacks. So you could build a larger structure. Um, that's where I'm at. As far as the. The, the pool goes, I don't find that to be an extraordinary circumstance. Uh, the applicant cited a, a tree on another uh, variance. The issue with a, a tree is a tree is a community resource. It's it, There's heritage There's heritage preservation, um, particularly some trees you've got to go through. Uh, we, we All the time, somebody wants to cut down a tree and we'll say, sorry, you can't cut down the tree. That's a heritage resource. A pool, nobody's going to complain that you know, you're taking out a pool. It is expensive. It is a pain in the butt, but you have that flexibility. There's nobody stopping you from taking the pool out if you want more green space in the yard. So I, I feel your frustration. I am aware of 
structures in my own neighborhood that aren't in within the letter of the law. Somebody could complain. I'm not one to complain generally, uh, but uh, that's that's what you've got. Um, and it's it's a tough situation, but I I would be hard put to. The, the, the issue is that once we say, oh, this one guy gets a variance, now all the other people can come forward. Well, well, I've got a non-compliant structure too, and here's my story. And we keep getting variances. And then the, the rules of the city that we've come up with, the, the idea is that um, a lot of houses have non-compliant structures. Over time, as they get rebuilt, you want to move towards compliance. You would, you would oh, I've got to rebuild this, this shag yield structure that didn't have permits anyway. I'm going to do it right this time, or I'm going to take a risk and do unpermitted. Uh, but if you do it right, then over time, the, the rules that have been established by the city um, come more and more to influence the properties that are involved. Uh, I think there's a fair question to be asked, well, are the, are the rules of the city that great? You know, clearly if there's a lot of people who are not in compliance with the accessory structure rules, and I'd say, yeah, there's a, there's a fair argument to be made there, but not in this form. That would be like a study issue that would come up and then we'd say, oh yeah, how, how much, you know, how much compliance or non-compliance is there with accessory structures? You know, should we liberalize this stuff or should we grant, you know, um, and I think that's come up from time to time, at least like ADUs that were unpermitted. Um, can we get those grandfathered in? I, I'm not aware that there's been any effort on accessory structures, but as part of the the, the code, that's something that I think long-term is worth asking ourselves some questions about. But I, I'm, I'm, I've, I, I find it difficult to side with the appellant on this one. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Shukla. Thank you. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is the one I spend so much time because when you are not going to agree on something, when staff has done so much research, there are courts, but I worked so hard for it just to come up with some um, proper statements that this is a neighborhood and this neighborhood has a pattern. And so Sunnyvale has these codes which, which applies to the whole Sunnyvale. So I understand that we have to do our job, but at the same time, uh, the new laws have come. ADUs, JDUs, no, in LA, there are no setback requirements. So I believe that I'm going to, I, I know that even the zoning administrators, they also followed the rules as my fellow commissioner also want to agree with you. And I really, really worked very hard. And I really ask our, my fellow commissioners that this is like one of the case which has happened in the neighborhood. And as um, my another uh, fellow commissioner mentioned that there is a um, pattern in the neighborhood. We had one, uh, one case um, where we, we, there was a, I'm trying to remember, it was a um, house next to the multifamily home, single family home with the two-story approval. I was new and we approved that project uh, because we, we believed the neighborhood concept was not single family home, but it was a multifamily. It was in the multifamily home with the single family home. So I think this neighborhood has, a, I, as a applicant said, I have num, uh, also all the addresses, 442 Bryan Avenue, 434 Bryan Avenue, 437 uh, East McKinley Avenue. All of them have no setback. Their, their setback might be one feet, maybe uh, 15 inches. 
So this probably is a little tiny each on the side setback is a little tight on one side. Um, it's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the good part about it, that that roof is so, so uh, not at all visible. So it's not going to affect. So I don't know, maybe we can add some, if um, I would think that we should grant the appeal with some conditions that it, it might become a landmark case, but it can restrict to the neighborhood or uh, with that street or something. So it doesn't become, you know, if we, if we grant um, uh, the appeal, but I seriously think that, um, I mean, a lot of people do that. I mean, seriously, because when I moved into the uh, neighborhood, I did not know that you need to take permit for structure because when immigrants, they come, they don't know, they are afraid. I mean, not now, nowadays, the Sunnyvale is changed, but before people used to come and they just, just, they have some need and they hire somebody and they build the same place. Of course, they didn't do that. Probably they knew everything, how the city works. But um, I think we should, uh, so I'm going to go with the um, uh, alternatives to uh, grant the appeal and with maybe add, add um, condition that, uh, some conditions with you uh, that can be restrictive to the neighborhood. So, you know, like on the Bryant Street, so it doesn't become um, the part of the, like everybody can just go and, you know, come back and break the code. But that's what my take is. Well, anyway, thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Davis. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, I find the appellant's situation to be very compelling. Is this working okay? Uh, I find it to be very compelling. I find the words of my fellow commissioners also to be very compelling. Yes, the, the rules say what they are. Um, it would have been cleaner if you'd gone and asked for permits from the beginning. Um, having said that, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with uh, with kind of this neighborhood narc style of somebody is somebody's doing something on their property that I don't uh, that I don't think completely complies with the rules. So I'm just going to file a complaint with the city. Um, I don't think that's very neighborly, and I don't think that comports with the general culture <laughs> of Sunnyvale. Sorry, this is my first night. I will figure out how to speak into a microphone eventually. I'm looking at the Google Maps right now, and I'm seeing accessory buildings all over the place in this neighborhood. Um, I'm also hearing that we don't know if those are um, non-conforming compliant. Um, I don't think this area was annexed or it would have been so long ago. Um, it's right next to downtown. So I would expect that this has been part of the city for, I don't know, 100 years. Um, we're, we're that old now. I also don't know the history of when all of these setback requirements came into play, right? And we're actually talking about these building, these homes would have been constructed before a lot of our zoning code would have been. Um, I personally don't want to spend staff time on doing zoning code archaeology. Um, I see lots of Accessory buildings very near the property line certainly don't comply with the, the 10 foot and four foot requirements. Uh, they 
you can't tell from the top so much, but I'm I'm thinking that they've been there for a long time. A lot of them are going to need repairs. Um, it's a very it's it's a very unclear line when repair becomes reconstruction or redesign and so on. And frankly, uh, I I find it bothersome that we would stop somebody from making something much nicer um, as as a replacement for something that is non-functional uh, anymore. Uh, so I I could still be swayed by further words from other commissioners, but I'm also leaning towards option two of granting the variance. I think that with all of the accessory units in the area, uh, this would be this would not be providing special privilege. It would just really be affirming the status quo. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Cerrone. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, first, I have a question to staff. Uh, what uh, <laughs> what happens if we uh, reject this? Can it be appealed to the council? Yes, my understanding is it. Uh, sorry, uh, the decision is final here with the Planning Commission. So, um, and an, another question: uh, uh, Can you have? Can you put two ADUs on a lot? Is that? Uh, Right now, they can have one ADU and one junior ADU. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. Well, I, I appreciate your uh, uh, problem here, having struggled with it on my own uh, property. And, uh, and I ended up with an eight-foot, 120-square-foot pergola in my yard because of this. Uh, and I think it's certainly arguable whether we need the... Uh, uh, that much setback or 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 not but uh it seems like the uh the rules are clear and i don't know how we grant this variance without granting it to just uh everybody and uh i mean the, the so you have a detached garage or an adu you have a pool obviously it's going to be very constrained on what you can do and uh, uh you know, again, the rules are are pretty clear. And as a planning commission, I don't know if if we really have the latitude to say, well, we don't uh, we don't like these rules, so we're going to give a variance. Uh, um, it seems like that's the uh, uh, purview of the council, not uh, the planning commission. And it seems like this clearly violates the setback requirements so i'd i'd be open to I, I don't fundamentally see a problem with uh with this structure but i but in the absence of finding a uh, a legal uh justification uh that's why i was trying to even ask is it maybe is it a repair or is you know only did you replace half of it or so, you know i'd i'd be open to almost any sort of legal uh, justification for this, but uh, but I, I'm not seeing it. So uh, uh, I I don't know how we uh, um, allow this variance without uh, allowing it for everybody. And and of course, if there's widespread uh, you know violation of these things everywhere, then the law should be changed. But uh, I'm not sure we can change it from the 
dais here on the planning commission. Uh, so that's that's my uh, opinion. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Manchin. And just a point of clarification, um, I was actually incorrect in that statement. So uh, this could be appealed to city council if the applicant chose. And would I be correct in saying it could also be called up by council? I believe so, yes. Okay, thank you. And before, and uh, so my thoughts, so my thoughts on this is that I agree that this is, this neighborhood, frankly, is a mess with regards to our current zoning codes. There's, there have been a fair number of variances with for lesser deviations granted in this area previously. I, I think the right thing to, I think it might be worth looking at. And I know staff has a very busy workload and I know I can't, and I also know that I can't just propose a study issue right now on this item, but uh, like it might be, it's, I think it is frankly worth looking at how these setback requirements relate to this entire neighborhood, because there are a lot of old properties. There are a lot of, there's a lot of narrow lots. There are a lot of buildings that are legal non-complying. There might also be properties that are not legal non-conforming, but there, but we don't know that. And I actually did note the distinct irony of we got the one letter from the public of some and the person said like that, oh, their their property was completely complying, blah, blah, blah. And their property was on the list of proper of lots that had received a prior variance. Like it's uh, that struck me as deeply ironic. But uh, the problem I'm having, though, is that I'm honestly very sympathetic to the applicant situation but i feel like we but i feel like we should not be in the but i feel like the right way to address this is systemically i the the variance finding finding one is and i'll just read it because of exceptional or extraordinary circumstances or conditions applicable to the property or use including size shape topography location or surroundings strict application of the ordinance is found to deprive the property owner of privileges enjoyed by other properties in the vicinity and within the same zoning district. And I'm just really struggling with the ability to make that finding because the lot, like, I, th like, I think it was Dave Simons that said, that said previously that by and large, we should not be granting variances for rectangular lots. And especially, and in this case, the lot is not particularly smaller than, and I'm not, again, I'm not completely endorsing what what former Commissioner Simon said, but like this lot is not noticeably different in size or shape than or or like location as a corner lot or other scenarios where we have granted variances before. I'm I have a very hard time finding that the pool constitutes an extraordinary circumstances per what Commissioner Howard said. I'm I feel like the reason that the property owner is more or less being deprived of those privileges is because of the history of the structure because the structure does not appear to be legal non-conforming and it's and while i'm i am sympathetic that that's not a case that i 
believe is contemplated by the first finding here. So I'm, that is where I am. I'm open to persuasion on this argument by fellow, on this item by fellow commissioners. Uh, but like I said, this, I'd also be in favor of just looking at how we, how at reducing the setback requirements for this entire neighborhood, because the lots are, as we discussed previously, the lots are, I don't think legal non-conforming is the right word for them, but the lots don't meet what are R2 standards. They're narrower than we would allow for an R2, than we, than the R2 zone zoning contemplates, but we can, I don't think we can just blanket say, oh, we are declaring a variance for the entire neighborhood. That I don't I think that exceeds our authority. Uh with uh with that, uh Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Chair. Um, so I remember back in 2017 when I was appointed, I got a an informal training by the fellow who's now the mayor. Uh, and he sat me down and explained, well, there's deviations and there's variances and a that variance is a much bigger deal than a, a deviation. And I figured, I, I see we have our eternity here to, uh, tonight. And I was wondering, Ms. Moon, if, if you would care to explain like what is a deviation versus what's a variance? What, why is, is, is a variance a higher bar? Um, the, you know, what's the legal context of where we're operating at tonight? Have the lawyer scare some sense into us one way or another. So I, I would agree there is a higher bar for a variance. A, a deviation is something built into the code that allows some flexibility um, for certain standards. But a variance is basically um, a, an issue of, you know, a fundamental fairness for someone who has a lot that has some peculiar configuration um, not related to the construction that's on it or, or things that the owner has added like a swimming pool, but but really related to what the configuration of the lot is such that they're not able to develop their property in the same way that other people in the surrounding neighborhood are. And so the findings are pretty specific and you have to make those specific findings in order to grant a variance. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Shukla. Yeah, I was just trying to make some more argument, a more, more proposition for, for this because, um, um, yeah, as pool as we said that, um, just you mentioned that the pool is uh, or or the layout of the site, uh, is not very unique but i think when my fellow commissioner mentioned that if there is a tree we allow that variance because tree brings some community benefits uh swimming pool used to be like a family benefit social benefit now it's because water problem the culture changed so the when the swimming pool was made built that time everybody used to make swimming pool but now there is a community benefits we have to see and so I understand that, um, but the uh, if we can, if they remove, I mean, because right now they are not following in terms of setbacks and also height, but if they make their roof like sloping from eight to like going towards their property, 10 feet, nine feet, I'm just trying to understand because they already built the structure. 
So now if we don't grant them, what's, what, are, what is going to happen to that structure? Uh, the practicality of it is they are going to like just, they have to demolish it completely. It's, um, I know that in the, some of, some, sometimes they do that. The, some of the buildings, if they are done not properly or without permit, they get demolished, but, or they get repaired or uh, get built to the code. So the question is that if we don't grant it, what's going to happen to the structure? Yeah, the structure needs to meet the zoning standards, which would which would mean an eight foot maximum height of the tallest point of the ridge, regardless of how it's sloped or anything. Oh, um, and a and a uh, an area of 120 square feet or less. The structure would need to be reduced to that size or demolished. So we, if we, so it's them. Uh, if so, you give we give notices to the people, and then they to demolish it. Yeah, the the neighborhood preservation case would continue, uh, and the choice would be to apply for a building permit with a conforming structure or remove the structure. Or they have to, or they can include come back with the big, bigger permit, um, making the like ADU connected with the ADU, and maybe do something with a, that a, kind of thing. A, a new ADU application could be proposed for a detached ADU, yes. Yeah, uh, I think um, also we have a lot of uh, shortage of housing. So another thing I know I read a lot of cities are uh, creating uh, no setback ADU in San Jose. Some places have started already, LA. So I think in two years, we'll see the new patterns and this, this setback will be will have to reconsider uh, as the housing shortage is coming. So maybe this is just the beginning. But so I think we should, um, uh, we should grant it. But anyway, that's what I'm going to do. Thank you. Thank you. Vice Chair Glacius. Thank you, Chair. Uh, two things for my fellow commissioners to consider. Um, first, um, I feel comfortable saying that we can collectively make the findings to support the variance and I'll walk through it. Um, first is the fact if we look at um, the, the first consideration to, that has to be met includes the term deprive the property owner of the privileges enjoyed by other properties in the vicinity and within the same zoning district. 100%, the majority of folks that live in the vicinity in the same zoning are enjoying that privilege now. So we will be depriving them of that. Second consideration is the granting of the variance will not be materially detrimental to the public welfare or injurious to the property improvements or uses within the immediate vicinity and within the same zoning district. I think we're all comfortable with that one. And the third one, upon granting the variance, the intent and purpose of the ordinance will still be served. That's questionable, but the recipient of the variance will not be granted special privileges not enjoyed by the surrounding property owners, which again, we've already discussed, as we can see from the visual, um, the others are already enjoying. So to me, all three can reasonably be met. Um, second consideration, I also appreciate the fact that we may not be comfortable to set a precedent especially given the fact that there are so many other houses, uh, so many other properties with that same consideration right now. Um, so I, I, I want to look for a little bit of creativity where we don't necessarily make a judgment for this, but we actually either, and this is where we're going to have to look at options, but either uh, a continuance or staying or um, giving um, staff sufficient time to do a, a, a deeper evaluation of how we approach this problem ho holistically versus uh, selecting this one, because I do think that as a commission, um, it's our, our, our job is to apply uh, judgment and to apply discretion. And it's not just to read black and white, but to, to insert reason as well. 
And I think that we have the ability to do that in this situation where we don't have to say, maybe we don't, maybe we're not prepared to grant the variance, but, but at least what we could do is not um, create an, an unfair situation and give ourselves, the planning commission and the city staff more time to come up with something more coherent. More coherent. Question to staff, uh, would the motion, would a further motion to continue uh, definitely be in order or is that not in order because it would be the second continuance? I feel like I remember something about a second continuance having to be indefinite, but I might be just making that up. Yeah. I think you could continue it. Um, I, I don't know what, uh, what advantage that would be for staff to do any more analysis um, on the proposed variance request? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get understand the parliamentary. So I'm just bringing this. I'm not saying I would support the motion. I'm just saying I just want to get it squared away from a parliamentary procedure. Gotcha. Because I and I because I also know because there are noticing requirements, and I know that if we postponed indefinitely, then it would cause. A notice that would have to be re-noticed and I'm just trying to square away what would happen if that motion was proposed. Sure, if, if, if I may add, we've we've done an exhaustive search of the permit history of the other neighbor uh, neighboring properties and we were not really able to go out and measure the setbacks of others. We really, really do like a Google Earth measurement and that's not going to be accurate. So uh, we've, I think we've researched how we can for, for this case. Thank you, Vice Chair. It, it just to clarify, um, it wouldn't be about staff doing more research on um, whether or not there were those were legal or not. It would be about whether or not um, there's going to be proposals or something that could go to, to to change the zoning or to adjust, like to to try and identify a more comprehensive solution. That would be the the goal. Um. That would be something that would actually need to be more of a planning commission study issue item, as opposed to just something that's proposed as part of this variance request. But that's a, a bigger dive uh, for staff to have to deal with. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I would just say that uh, to Commissioner Shukla's point, I, if Commissioner Shukla were to propose a study issue looking at variant looking at setbacks reducing adu setbacks i i for one would be quite interested uh obviously again could not we we can't do that as part of this item but it is something that i would certainly be in a, i if it were to come up in our study in the study issue part of the agenda i would certainly be interested commissioner uh commissioner how yeah i'm ready to move forward with this one i move uh Number two, uh, grant the uh, appeal, and we'll go on and do it. We're not going to solve this, and we're not going to have a police action over there on the other people's stuff. And I believe what one of the other commissioners says that we'll wind up deriving or um, deprive the property owner of privileges enjoyed by other properties in the immediate vicinity and in the same zoning district. Vice Chair. Second. Thank you, Commissioner Howe, your motion. Sure. It turns out that I've got about 23 years working on variances in this city under my belt. 
and out of, out of the entire time, I voted for three variances, and this will be the fourth. It doesn't happen very often, but this neighborhood there, and when I lived on uh, North Murphy, there was everybody had these things right next to, including me, and they were built by the builder. These folks are going to get deprived of something by somebody going out there and saying, oh, you're building this and I'll turn it into to a problem by neighborhood preservation and have the city do it. It's just not right. They've, they've worked on this thing. They've even brought it forward with the variance and I don't know. Let me ask you this, what, what does it cost to appeal uh, to this planning commission for this action? A ballpark would be fine. Uh, it's around 300. Around 300. Well, that's not too bad. I can spend your money pretty easy. <laughs> but I think that they should be granted the variance. We're dealing with one thing in front of us right now, a variance for this property. We're not trying to solve the other properties, problems, but it says that they shouldn't be deprived of a privilege that other people enjoy. And everybody on this dais has seen it up there where it's all over the neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Vice Chair. I have nothing to add, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Commissioner Howe and Vice Chair for uh, your positions. Uh, I will not be supporting this this motion um, with respect. I, 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 I'm very sympathetic to it though. Uh, the story I've got is, is if you build a structure without a permit, you you might get called on it. You got called on it. That's unfortunate, but you need to follow the process, and we can't grant you an exception. As far as the neighbor, so it's it, the, the the real issue here is is finding one because of the exceptional extraordinary circumstances. The strict application of this ordinance, which is what we're looking at, is found to deprive the property owners of privileges enjoyed by other properties in the vicinity. And the argument is that well, everybody else has a, a non-conforming structure on their lot. Well none of them have a variance either. So all, they all have the same vulnerability that you do, that somebody complains to neighborhood preservation, and then the city says, sorry, you're gonna have to take that down. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's not a great dynamic, but somebody complained and we have these rules and this is the process that we should follow. As, a, as appointed planning commissioners with a quasi-judicial role, I've been cautioned over and over again, we don't legislate from the dais, we don't make, make up stuff. Um, I think it would be a very healthy exercise if this was appealed to the city council because it raises the awareness of, oh, what what are we doing with all these non-compliant accessory structures within the city? And maybe those elected officials are in a better place to make this decision that we're going to forego the rules that are applied to everybody here. Um, kind of that's where I'm at. So with all respect, um, I won't be supporting this portion. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Davis. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, I will be supporting the motion. Um, I've, uh, Commissioner Howe's point that the existing buildings were generally built by the builders and so on. I find that very compelling. Uh, they've been there forever. They need repairs. They need construction. Um, I don't want to spend every other Monday night talking about this. and. I worry about the precedent of uh, 
of neighborhood preservation being used to uh, keep buildings from being repaired or improved um, that have been there since well before I was born. I'm not so young anymore either. Uh, so I will be supporting the motion. Um, I, my heart goes out for you. I'm a property owner, and I know this has probably caused you to lose a lot of sleep. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Strani. Well, uh, for reasons I already stated, I won't be supporting this motion. Uh, is it uh, possible to deny the appeal and recommend that it go to the council? Is there a uh, parliamentary way to do that? The way to do that is to email members of council and ask them to call it to up. Call it up. Yeah, uh, I'll just note that any two mem that two members of the city council can, as noted, call up a call up this kind of planning commission item. So you could. So if a planning commissioner disagree or any members of the public disagrees with the action that the commission takes tonight, they can ask their favorite members of their two favorite members of council or more than two and ask them to call this up. And uh, if the appeal is um, is denied, what's the time frame for tearing down the structure? Um, I'm I'm not sure that I've been fully briefed by by neighborhood president how they normally handle this kind of circumstance. I would imagine it would be I don't know several months. Um, I, I'm not sure that there's a standard time frame. It's really more just that it gets done and they work with the applicant typically to make that happen. All right, well, uh, for reasons I, I stated, I, I don't think we, I don't feel like we have the option of, uh, of uh, granting this variance, the findings aren't met. So uh, I won't be supporting the motion. Thank you. Thank you. And, I can I, I, I can see where this is going, but I can make finding too. I believe that uh, Commissioner Howe and others have made a very strong argument for finding three, but I can't get to finding one because I feel that the arguments have that have been made are not going into the preambulatory clause of finding one. I think I think otherwise we're essentially conflating findings one and findings three and. I don't think that would make sense because otherwise why would they be two different findings? And I I can't find that there are exceptional or extraordinary circumstances conditional applicable to this lot in particular. Uh, so therefore I will not be supporting the motion. Uh, with that, uh, recording officer, please conduct a roll call vote. Commissioner, Commissioner Howe? Yes. Chair Pine? No. Vice Chair Iglesias? Yes. Commissioner Davis? Yes. Commissioner Cerrone? No. Commissioner Howard? No. Commissioner Shukla? Yes. The motion passes with four yeses and three noes from Chair Pine, Commissioner Cerrone, and Commissioner Howard. Thank you. And oh, what is the fate of this project? Uh, the project may be appealed to City Council in uh, 15 days. Appealed or called up, yes? Yes. Or Just because up. we went over this in detail. Uh, thank you. And congratulations. Uh, with that, uh, the next item is 
item 23-0533, proposed project forward recommendations to the city council related to the general plan air quality, noise safety, and environmental justice update to A, adopt a resolution to amend the following Sunnyvale general plan amendments, chapter one, introduction, chapter six, safety and noise, and chapter seven, environmental management. B, introduce an ordinance to repeal and replace Sunnyvale Municipal Code Section 19.42-030, noise or sound level, and make related changes to Chapter 19.12 definitions. And C, accept the addendum to the previously certified environmental impact report for the land use and transportation element of the Sunnyvale General Plan pursuant to California Environmental Quality Act Guidelines Section 15164. Is there a staff report? Yes. All right. Good evening, commissioners. My name, my name is Mary J. Prakash. I'm the senior planner working on this general plan update project. We have Dimitri Antonio and Pat Angel from Ascent um, in virtually attending this meeting. And we have principal planner, George Schroeder um, here, who's also part of the project team. Um, we are excited to bring this project in front of you all because we started the project in 2019 and it has been a long four years since we started. Next slide, please. Okay, project overview. Um, the project consists of four parts. Um, the first one is we are doing a complete update of the air quality and noise elements of the general plan. And safety, we are doing targeted update. And um, we are also integrating environmental justice noise, um, environmental justice goals and policies throughout the general plan. And we are amending noise code uh, to go hand in hand with a noise element update to the general plan. And lastly, um, for the environmental review part, we are tearing off of a loot EA, land use and transportation element EAR uh, by preparing addendum. Next slide, please. Um, as you see from the slide, uh, the air quality and noise elements are long due for an update. Um, when loot was updated in 2017, changes to the air quality and noise elements of the city were anticipated, and hence we are updating air quality and noise sections of the general plan. Um, for the safety and environmental justice updates, they are basically requirements from state laws. Uh, from 2015 and 2016, respectively. Next slide, please. Okay, so the main purpose of the air, air quality element is to reduce emission from um, major pollutant sources, from roadways and highways, um, from stationary sources like industrial facilities, um, from construction activities. Next slide, please. The main purpose of the noise element is to reduce community noise from mobile sources and um, also from um, also to regulate stationary sources like noise from stationary sources like industrial construction activities. And noise element also regulates general operational noise from all land uses. Next slide, please. Okay, background of environmental justice. Um, environmental justice is a newly required element as of um, SB 1000 of 2016. 
Um, what it does is it promotes fair treatment and equal participation to um, low-income and disadvantaged communities who are disproportionately affected by various sources of pollution. Um, so this slide lists the state-stipulated goals of environmental justice goals and policies. Next slide, please. Okay. So um, before we dived into environmental justice goals and policies, we were doing screening and analysis, analysis using EPA, CalEPA screening tool. And we were looking at low-income and disadvantaged communities. Um, low-income communities, meaning um, they are the ones that are either at or below 80% of the statewide medium income, and disadvantaged communities are determined by mainly three criteria, proximity to pollution source, level of pollution, and their economic condition. So using these criteria, we were looking at census tracts um, throughout Sunnyvale, and we came up with um, C and D as identified in the map as low-income communities, and we identified A and B marked in orange as disadvantaged communities. Um, if you look closely, A and B does not have any residential units within Sunnyvale boundary. So technically, we're not required to um, do environmental justice in our general plan, but we are doing it as a voluntary approach because it's a good thing to do. Uh, we would like to address inequalities um, in Sunnyvale. So that, that's why we are doing environmental justice updates. And um, before we dived into environmental justice updates, we also looked at um, the existing general plan to see how we are doing. And looks like we are way ahead of the game. We already have existing environmental justice related goals and policies throughout the general plan, specifically uh, from the recently adopted loot and also in other sections of the general plan. We have over 50 uh, goals and policies. Next slide, please. Okay. So the next few slides talks about the proposed updates. Um, this slide is specifically about air quality element update. Um, so for the air quality element, we are proposing new policies that mainly stems from the mitigation measures of LUT EAR, um, basically to address traffic, construction emissions, um, pollution due to pollution sources, objectionable orders. So we are creating new policies to address these impacts. And we are also creating new goals and policies to be aligned with the BACMED guidelines. Next slide, please. So similar to the air quality element, the noise element has new policies stemming from the mitigation measures of the LUT EAR. So in this case, we are trying to address impacts like vibration and noise impacts, um, mainly due to construction. Um, we are also, um, as part of a noise element update, um, we are updating the exterior existing exterior noise standards. We are coming up with new policies for high-density residential units that are proposed very close to um, roadways and highways, which is, seems like a current trend in Sunnyvale. And we are also um, replacing outdated noise control maps and we are um, aligning 
existing policies with current building codes. So these are some high level um, noise updates that we are making to the noise element. Um, we are also proposing updates to the noise code um, to the Sunnyvale um, operational noise standards in the Municode. Um, so what this slide lists the key updates that are doing to the noise code. So we are um, including exterior noise standards to all land uses. Currently, we don't we only have one set of exterior noise standards for residential. We are creating new standards for multifamily, for high density, uh, density residential, and so on. Um, we currently have exceptions for few from the noise standards, but we are adding more exceptions, and these are the um, exceptions that are um, that we are adding that are listed in the slides. And we are also updating um, language to make the code uh, more objective. And we are also updating pertinent definitions that relates to the NICE code update. Next code, ne next slide, please. All right. Um, safety element update. These are easy ones. Um, they are we are mainly doing these updates to satisfy SB 379. Um, from 2015, what we are doing is basically referencing recently adopted plans like local hazard mitigation plan. We are referencing climate action playbook. Um, basically, what we are doing is to ensure cities are providing for the safety of the community and cities are planning adequately for the climate change. Next slide, please. All right. So this slide lists the new environmental justice goal that we are proposing and the policies underneath. Um, these goals and policies are proposed throughout the general plan. Um, some of these policies are like sharpening the existing tools that we use. For example, the one that you see right in the middle of the slide, improve access to healthy food. We are creating a, um, a policy to support development of healthy food establishment. We already have a full healthy city section in the recently adopted loot, but we still we are creating this policy to, to strengthen what we already have. And we're also adding policies as an affirmation of what we already do. Um, for example, the one you see at the at the end, apply universal design policies. We don't have a specific policy for that, but we already do that. So we are ad now adding a policy for that. Um, and some of the policies also, again, to strengthen existing policies, like we currently have a very generic um, policy to um, improve ad quality. We are creating a new policy for developers to come up with best management practices, site-specific analysis, for developments that are very proposed very close to pollution source. So this is a snapshot of some of the environmental justice goals and policies that we're proposing. Next slide, please. All right. Um, so public outreach. Um, we started public outreach um, in um, August, 2020. Uh, we published outreach videos, we posted survey, we communicated with um, advocacy groups, neighborhood groups, interested parties. And recently, we also did 
oh, before that, we did um, study sessions, um, planning commission study session in 2020. Um, there were only two of you there at the time. Um, and recently we did sustainability commission study session, and we also did housing and human services study session um, during the public review period. Next slide, please. All right, so this slide lists some of the main changes that we did after we um, published the draft. So most of the changes are done in the noise element and all in all the changes are to make the noise element more and more consistent with the overall objectives of the project and overall objectives of the city. And we also did few changes outside the noise element, mainly for consistency and for clarity's sake. Next slide, please. All right, staff recommendation. Um, so staff recommend to the city council, um, alternative one, where um, resolution to amend general plan elements and ordinance to am amend noise Unicode sections and related definitions and addendum to loot EAR. Next slide, please. This concludes my presentation. As, as I mentioned, we also have consultant team here and um, George Schroeder from the project team here um, and myself, and it, we are here to address any questions that you have. Thank you. Thank you. And as a reminder to my colleagues, please use the raise hand button to indicate that you wish to speak. First up is Commissioner Cerrone. Uh, thank you, Chair, and thank you for the uh, uh, presentation. And it sounds like you've been working on this for four years, and I, I well believe that. Uh, it's okay. We had, what, four or five days to review it, so you know, <laughs> plenty of time. Uh, as a, So I've got a few questions and a maybe a couple comments, but as a general comment, we frequently see in here is terminology like encourage a shift to electric vehicles, which is better than discouraging shift to electric vehicles, but it seems like those are kind of in the category of the, the least we can do. It's just a, an observation, uh, not that you can necessarily put in some detailed policy for every point. Uh, and uh, I certainly am glad to see the city uh, adding the uh, environmental justice section, even though it is voluntary, it's very important. And uh, uh, and there are real uh, uh, issues within Sunnyvale related to this, even if we don't have uh, what technically qualifies as these uh, uh, disadvantaged communities. Um, so, um, uh, you have a goal here, prioritize the needs of designated low-income communities within Sunnyvale that bear high pollution burden. According to the Cal Enviro screen 3.0 to ensure equitable outcomes. And so there's some maps that show that, for example, attachment eight, page 25, it's also an attachment nine and attachment 10. Uh, but my question is, the according to these maps, the worst pollution uh, based on this Calenviro screen is north of 237, which surprised me. Uh, why Why is that? Whenever I'm out there, we're seeing, it seems like it's uh, kind of uh, maybe northwesterly wind coming from the bay. It doesn't, it seems like that would be the 
last place I would expect to see a lot of pollution. Most of the um, the the primary reason for um, high pollution is due to transportation, um, and the consultant team can talk more uh, regarding the map. Um, I think he refers to the map that we have in the air quality um, air quality section seven ten figure seven ten, where we have the um, low income and high density, high pollution burden map. Um, so it's th there are several things when we um, we looked at when we put together this map. Um, one is proximity to pollution source, and the other one is exposure to pollution, um, and the third one we looked at was all was economic condition. So these are the three things we looked at when we put together uh, these maps. Um, and all in all, um, when we did the background study, it was told to us that the primary source of pollution are the uh, major roadways and highways. So uh, when you look at the maps, the areas that are darkened there are mostly around around that um, 101, around 237. Um, so we we think that that's that's reasonable. That that's well, if you look at the, this is just pollution, and it's north of 237. And what I'm concerned about is that, uh, you know, we've seen it in the in the housing element too. The the fact that uh, there, there's nobody living there in in these areas, I'm I'm worried that there's some kind of mathematical anomaly coming up, a divide by zero or something that results in infinite pollution per person or something per zero persons. So, uh, I mean. It, it doesn't seem intuitively, it, it doesn't seem like there would be the worst pollution north of 237. I'm not talking about economic uh, conditions, just talking about pollution. And I think that attachment eight, page 25, maybe we should try and look at that. But um, uh, Commissioner Serrani, did you want to hear a little bit more from the consultants? Sure, sure. That'd be Dimitri. Sure, Dimitri, do you want to um, add to that? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, let me just. I mean, that I guess the first thing to take away from that map is that this is based on large data. It's not. It's not Sunnyvale. It's Sunnyvale specific, but it's based on statewide regional data. So, generally speaking, as Mary mentioned, the sources of pollution in a community that tend to have that, that result in the highest concentration are mobile sources, high volume freeways, um, industrial sources, and then other sources of particulate matter. So the map is really like a compilation of all these statewide data sources that are that are mapped. And, and so it's a little bit, it's not so granular, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and local conditions, meteorology, different times of the year can also affect concentrations near near roadways. So that's where like a site-specific analysis would come into place. We, we call it health risk assessments. Um, and some of the policies that we that, that, that Mary mentioned would require those types of analyses to occur for projects located within radius identified by the air district of potential area, areas that are known to be high pollution areas. So within a thousand feet, for example, of roadways or stationary sources. So there are other mechanisms and that usually comes out through the CEQA analysis where a more site-specific analysis would be 
would be conducted that would account for those local conditions. But um, just, I guess on the high level, this map is a little bit more, you know, pulled back and and based on that larger data. And so it's not gonna be as accurate or specific as, as you could get to it when compared to like a site specific analysis. Well, okay, I, uh, can, we, can we pull that up? Attachment eight, page 25. Attachment eight? Yeah, page 25. Okay, that is the air quality and environmental justice background report. Page 25. Okay. The one mostly with green. Um, Most of Sunnyvale green with orange on the north of Sunnyvale. Is that the map that you're looking yeah, at? Yeah, that's on the map. Okay, so this is the, so this map is listing all the percentiles of disadvantaged communities. Um, uh, and this, okay, this is the Cal Enviro screen 3.0 scores for the city of Sunnyvale. Yes. And Do this is the, so that orange is like what, 80 to 90%. It's more polluted than 80, 90% of the state, right? Um, is that so, what that says? So the dark orange or the 90 to 100 percentile range. Um, yeah. So the shaded sections are outside Sunnyvale. Um, right. That's right. to the right there, Santa Clara, and to the top there, San Jose, right. San Aliso. I'm, I'm not talking about that, but I would have the same question. If, <laughs> but uh, so the part that is in Sunnyvale that is uh orange uh they're looking at the there are no freeways around i mean the 237 is around there so this they, track is looked as a whole that's the problem um so there are people living in san aliso area of san jose right, it's uh, looked at as whole track well, we can ignore that i'm talking about sunnyvale correct but the the portion of the lv so tracked it extends into sunnyvale just because it's so low you know lowly populated Right along the shoreline, it, it starts in Alviso and it carries all the way over to Sunnyvale. So that's I think that's why you see the orange color is because uh, we're kind of getting <laughs> dinged for what what's occurring in the San Jose because of uh, Alviso is a high pollution area. Yes. All right. We we are disregarding that for the reason that we do not have residences within that orange area. Okay. All right. Uh, that explains it. Thanks. Thank uh, you. Uh, another point, uh, and I think you, you just referred to it on, uh, uh, you've got policy uh, EGA uh, 1.7, for example, support existing specialty markets and facilitate the establishment of new culturally derived markets, derived markets within walkable distance to low-income communities. And the one before that, support the development of healthy food establishments, 
grocery stores, local food growers, et cetera. Uh, what is the city doing to support these uh, policies? And I mention it because this has been an issue in North Sunnyvale for many years, the lack of uh, uh, grocery stores and healthy food. That's very true. The reason why we have these um, policies are we received a um, lot of comments when we published a survey and people saying we need ethnic markets. Um, so we now added it in the general plan. So when there is a development, um, if they are proposing an ethnic market, that will be looked as a community benefit because we have a policy for it in the general plan. Um, and it will be treated and if there, there is a trade-off um, with deviations of anything of, of that sort, if they have these kind of markets, that will be ranked high. Um, it will look up positively. Uh, but we can force it on them, but we can definitely encourage them because we have policy where we want to support such markets. Okay. Uh, yes, and Commissioner, I'd also like to add that we, we incentivize uh, grocery stores and other uh, local food sources. And like, for instance, in Lawrence Station and El Camino, that we, uh, we provide incentive points to developers for providing those uh, so they can build more density, basically, in exchange for uh, providing those. Because we recognize it's very important for the community and something we've heard a lot. So that's, that's one of the ways we're, we're trying to uh, implement them. Okay, Thanks, good. Uh, yeah, so if uh, if somebody had a development that uh, uh, tore down the uh, the markets, uh, uh, specialty markets uh, north of in North Sunnyvale in particular, that would be uh, uh, would be discouraged, is what you're saying. <laughs> it was a yes. pro proposed development that takes out the uh, retail markets. Uh, okay, good. Um, and, uh, so, uh, going to noise, you mentioned development projects will be reviewed using the noise elements, new standards. I think this was addressed and I know it was also asked at some of the other commission session sessions, but, um, uh, so will, will the uh, noise regulations prevent housing development close to transit? Um, we are not um, creating new standards to um, make it hard for the developers, but we are we are asking for additional site-specific analysis. If they say that the noise that they are going to produce is not going to meet um, the standards, then they have to do site-specific analysis. And um, the analysis would would have mitigation measures um, and they have to do appropriate mitigation to um, um, to reduce as much as they can. Um, so it, uh, all in all, when we put together these policies, it was one of our goals not to prevent development, not to prohibit them in any way. But at the same time, um, it's like a balancing act. <laughs> we wanted to make sure we um, give good um, high quality um, lifestyle for for the residents of Sunnyvale to protect them from all these noises. So um, yes, in no way it would uh, prevent development. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, 
on uh, also on noise. Um, <clears throat> this came up a couple times in the presentation, and I, I, I guess I'm a little confused. A single event noise um, does not include landscape equipment or uh, children noise from childcare. Operational noise, I believe you removed childcare and vehicle noise from operational noise. Um, so our our uh, vehicle noise or childcare noise are they covered anywhere? So we vehicle noise um, the transportation now noise that's the ambient noise. Um, so when when you say um, it's already embedded in it. So when you look at the um, noise code noise update uh what do we say the community noise standards let me go to the and i'll also tell you what uh, page we need to go to um okay so um go to figure six six which is page eight which attachment oh um this is um attachment this is attachment two for the two for the general plan updates. Okay. I don't have it open as attachment. I will go ahead and do that. Um, so basically what I wanted to tell is um, these standards are built in such a way that um, it already takes takes into account the ambient noise so transportation noise is all already taken into account there uh, for say for example um res, res, low re density residential development the limit is 60 dba and uh, when it comes to outdoor activities golf courses cemeteries parks it's 75 dba so it already takes into account all, all that noise and when you do the CEQA analysis, when we do the transportation um, impact analysis, that that will also be separately covered through that. Um, so, so you're saying there's single event noise, there's operational noise, and there's ambient noise. And these are covered under ambient noise. The chair believes that this is page 18 of attachment two. Yes, that's correct. We're looking at figure 6-6. 6-6. Transportation noise in study is studied in detail through the separate um, transportational study that we do, right? It's, it's yes. not- So this, this takes into account by. all types of noise. So what typically happens is we ask for a noise study from a development and they, they, take, uh, they take measurements and it just measures everything that's going on with you know, no, traffic, ambient noise of so, you know any stationary sources like mechanical units that are making noise and it measures what what is the existing noise condition and um, essentially what the exercise is is to make sure that the new residents are going to be protected by the the noise that's around the, the site so if it's already a very noisy area like if it's by a freeway or by a train station that there are adequate mitigations built in so like you know uh, sound rated windows and construction that would make sure that the uh, uh, the usable open spaces and the interior of the units are meeting the general plan standards. Okay. Um, 
So you're saying these are covered vehicle noise is just part of ambient noise and noise from childcare is just part of the ambient noise that would yes. be going on. It's all covered within it is covered. one table. Okay. Yes. And it looks like it used to be under operational noise, but was removed, I guess, because it's covered elsewhere. <clears throat> removed as part of this update. All right. Okay, uh, uh, on sound walls uh, mentioned as reducing freeway noise, which they do close to the wall, but not far away from the wall, which has been known for a long time. And there are absorbing sound walls. I was surprised there was no mention of that. Um, uh, um, we have retained that policy. Um, I think you're referring to SN 89C in the existing Maybe so. noise. And then yeah. it is slightly modified. Um, so we do, we do, this is how the policy goes. Proposed sound walls or other noise reduction barriers should be reviewed for design, location, and material before installation. Sound readings should be taken before and after installation to determine the efficacy of the noise reduction barrier. Measurement techniques should be similar to procedures used by Caltrans to measure efficacy of sound walls. So we do retain. Okay. All right. Uh, if we can move to, uh, sorry, I'm taking so long, but if we can move to environmental management, um, unless I missed it, leaf blowers and for example, lawnmowers, two-stroke uh, uh, you know, gas-powered leaf blowers and lawnmowers are not referenced as a source of pollution. Uh, according to the uh, California Air Resources Board, uh, operating a gas leaf blower for an hour can create as much smog-forming pollution as driving a Toyota Camry for 1,100 miles. Um, so imagine this Camry is driving in a circle in your front yard or on your street uh, for this entire exercise, for the entire trip. That's a lot of pollution. And another study showed that one hour of using a gas-powered lawnmower is equivalent to driving a car 100 miles. Um, and I was surprised to find that leaf blowers and other small gas engines now create more ozone pollution than all of the passenger cars in the state. Um, so I was surprised this was not included. Now, I know we just passed a bill that will prevent the sale of these things starting in 2024, but it will be many years, obviously, before they're all phased out of use. So um, uh, would it be possible to add a reference to leaf blowers in the uh, sources of pollution? Um, so we do have a new policy for um, leaf blower in the noise element. And we also have a new, new policy to encourage electric leaf blowers in the air quality element because we did receive a um, lot of um, comments when we did a survey and public outreach about leaf blowers. And currently the mun municipal code has um, hours of operation 
limits on the leaf blowers. For noise, right. Yes. But I'm talking about pollution. Yes. So for pollution um, in the air quality element, we have included a new policy to encourage electric leaf blower and um, also an, a separate policy to continue to phase out gas-powered um, leaf blowers in city, city operations. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. I, I had a couple of uh, just kind of quick questions about safety. Uh, I, I was surprised to see Sunnyvale is the only city in Santa Clara County that does not provide paramedic services through its own or contracted fire service provider. Uh, this does not seem like a good thing. Uh, am I missing something? Are, are, do we have longer uh, wait times for um, ambulances in Sunnyvale because of this? Um, so only the air quality and noise elements are full updates. The safety element is just one uh, targeted update where we are referencing adopted plans. So we are not doing a full update to the safety element. Okay, uh, uh, it was in the, yeah, in the, uh, I understand what you're saying. That's what it said for a long time. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's a good thing, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, and likewise, the uh, speaking of things that are in there a long time, uh, the, there's a section there on the Department of Homeland Security has stated that interoperability is a top priority for public safety agencies nationwide. And and there's some boilerplate stuff about uh, why you want interoperability. I mean, this could have been, and maybe was written 30 years ago or more uh, since I, I worked kind of in this area. Uh, this has been a problem for forever. And uh, it doesn't, it sounds like it's still, still a problem. So anyway. Uh, that's uh, all I had. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Sony. Next up is Commissioner Davis. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Mike, for all the questions. Those were really good. Um, I have a couple of quick things. Um, first of all, I saw that um, the use of the term alternate transportation plan, uh, that seems to be very a very prejudicial phrasing. Um, people walking, people bicycling, people going other ways than cars is perfectly normal. I don't think of that as an alternative. And I know this research has come in too late to get into this, um, but there was actually an op-ed in the Washington Post yesterday um, referencing research uh, sponsored by the California, I think it's Air Resource Board, Finding that particulate pollution from brakes and tires is exponentially higher, several orders of magnitude higher than our tailpipes emissions. Uh, that goes perfectly hand in hand with, with Mike's point about two-stroke motors um, contributing more pollution than all the passenger vehicles in California. So it's too late to get into this, but I hope that we start to understand that electric cars are not going to make our air cleaner and that um, essentially uh, our air is not going to get cleaner until we stop driving as much and we start building our cities that way. Um, I had one question about noise abatement. Um, does traffic calming um, qualify as a noise abatement measure? 
I believe it does qualify as a noise abatement measure. And we have a land use and transportation element. Okay. And I'm I'm sure it's referenced there, but I, I, I don't know. I have to check. Um, so did you mean alternate transportation modes or active transportation plan? Uh, on one of your slides, it said alternate transportation plan. So. Transportation plan. Oh, because it's it's a it's it's a minor nit it's just i'd like to start to move the window to okay. normalize other modes of transportation D definitely noted yeah, thank yes. you thank you so thank you uh thank you next up is commissioner shukla thank you chair um this is like intense documents i mean it's a great great um studies and great uh, uh updates in our policies I just had a comment. Um, I, I I came across while reading all these things that um, there are trees which are listed as best suited to trap uh, PM, particulate, uh, particulate matter, because we had that fire issues and completely changed our uh, situation a couple of years ago. And um, I, I think we have, in our policies, we say we follow like regional air quality policy or something in that regard. But I think there is, um, uh, this this one was very good that if we can have a buffer of like in the new development tree buffer with certain trees they have listed like pine, cypress, those that, that can, um, uh, they are kind of basically, they reduce, they trap the PM. So I just think that somehow we can, you know, I mean, like, I, it's from your documents, but it's not listed in the policy because policy says that we follow the regional air quality policies or something. So I don't know. Um, do you have any, uh, like, answer? Um, so, so this is general plan. So we try to keep it very, very generic. Um, new researchers do come from time yeah. to time. Um, and when we do our development project, it's a good thing to know. I will note it down. And when when we suggest, when we review a development project, we can definitely yeah. use these as suggestions. Um, also, uh, also, I read uh, in the same research that those trees can be like buffer uh, with noise. It mm -hmm. can uh, mitigate the noise of the uh, of the big road going through, or, or also for the air. So I think it's like and the trees. We all love trees, so just kind of. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Shukla. Next up is Vice Chair Glacius. Thank you, Chair. Uh, Chair, uh, just a point of privilege, five minute request, uh, five minutes requested for a uh, bathroom. Uh, the chair would prefer to ask his questions before we take the recess, if that's possible. It's your risk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, the chair's questions were relatively brief. Um, uh, First, uh, first off, just wanted to flag the language that Commissioner Davis mentioned, alternative transportation infrastructures. That's at the bottom of slide 12. So that's where it is in the slideshow. Uh, uh, second, uh, I agree with everything Commissioner Cerrone said about uh, the how great is that we're focusing on environmental justice, even though we don't technically have to. But I guess what I was curious about that is, Neighborhood A, A on the map is, no one lives there now, but 
tomorrow night, council is hopefully going to authorize a giant pile of housing units in neighborhood A. Would that cause us to incur any legal obligations to consider environmental justice if we weren't doing that already? Um, if you are passing the recommendation today, probably not. Um, well, council would presumably act on this after the Moffat Park, they did the Moffat Park specific plan, unless you're planning on overnighting the staff report. So. But I don't, I don't think we have to backtrack and I don't think they would put us through that burden. No, I don't, I don't think way. they would. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, um, because it includes Albiso, it, it's got a larger uh, census tract. So probably once we start having a residential population in Moffat Park, the census tract lines will get changed and that will adjust uh, the coloring of that map when we do yeah, studies later. That that kind of anticipated my next question, which is this has this giant census tract has been an issue not just here. It was an issue with the housing elves, but an issue with a bunch of things. How 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 soon can we expect the census to fix that when we start building in Moffat Park? Possibly 2030 when they do the uh, well. Hopefully we'll we can bother somebody in the commerce department, but uh, you know, I appreciate that. Uh, the uh, so Commissioner Sharni mentioned about uh, neighborhood about neighborhood groceries, ethnic groceries, et cetera. And I was wondering if we have anything or we can say anything that like preventing food deserts is actually a health and safety issue. And I know and I use that phrase knowing how our state housing laws are worded. Uh, but like, is there anything? here elsewhere that we could use to basically say that like a development that we found would like create a food desert would actually be a health and safety problem. So uh, when we put together these food related um, policies, we did research into food deserts, the terminology, the definition for it, and none of the tracks in Sunnyvale qualifies for that definition. So we won't, we don't, we won't come under that. Um, but when we say food deserts in a general way, those are the ones that are, again, it points out to our low income and high pollution okay. burden areas. Okay. And I would also like to add something to it. Um, so the figure 7.10 that we were talking about before, um, it lists low income communities and areas of high pollution burden. And that already highlights the large um, north uh, census track as part of high pollution burden areas. We are not considering them as um, disadvantaged communities, but when we apply these environmental justice goals and policies, if there will be any future uh, residential units, it will automatically be applied to them as well because it is highlighted in that map. Right. Yes. I was going off of the map on slide seven where it says disadvantaged communities, neighborhoods A and B, and neighborhood A was that big northern census track that included all of Moffat Park. Yes. And my last question was, there was a mention about, about a policy, and it's on top of slide 12 about 
as a goal, adding schools, libraries, resource centers to prioritize needs of low-income communities. So I guess my question is kind of, well, the city of Sunnyvale doesn't add, isn't responsible for adding schools. That's a school district. So I guess my question is, how can we, like, what are we doing to kind of make that happen? Okay. Um, so the actual policy that we have written along those lines is prioritize the development of public facilities in low-income and high-pollution burden, burden communities. Um, so when it comes to picking between different land uses, this policy would help us to prioritize them over other things, um, nothing beyond that. Okay, so it's more kind of like zoned PF kind of yes. areas? Yes. Okay, I, I got you. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, Vice Chair, your hand is still up. <laughs> okay, uh, in that case, uh, we will take a five minute recess and we'll be back here at 925.
intelligence in more or less. Planning mission will come to order. Are there any other questions for staff on uh, the uh, general plan update? Seeing none, I will go ahead and open the public hearing on the specific item. Members of the public wishing to address the Planning Commission, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer. Use the raise hand feature now or dial star nine on a telephone. Indicate that you wish to speak. I will call upon members participating in person first, then the recording officer will ask remote participants to unmute when it is their turn to address the Planning Commission. Speakers will have three minutes to speak and the time will be displayed on the screen. Uh, do we have anybody in, I have no speaker cards. Do we have anyone in the room wishing to speak on this item? Seeing none, recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? Yes, Chair, we have one hand raised. I'll go ahead and allow Agnes Fyfe, the floor to speak. Hello, I'm Agnes Fyfe. I'm a Sunnyvale resident for over 25 years and a member of Livable Sunnyvale. Tonight, I am speaking on my own behalf. I have a couple of questions about attachment 11, existing environmental justice goals, policies, and actions. I understand that most of the goals and policies noted in this attachment were added as part of the LUT update in 2017. My questions are how often are or will these policies and actions be updated to determine their effectiveness and how is this information disseminated to the public? Another question I have is the slide that was shown specific to the goals to prioritize the needs of low income communities. How often will these goals be updated and the result of these goals disseminated to the public? Thank you. You have no further hands raised at this time, Chair. Thank you. I'll go ahead and close the public hearing and I will now ask for discussion or motion from my colleagues. Commissioner Howard. I would uh, move the staff recommendation alternative one for the recommendation of the city council to take the following actions as posted in the uh, uh, agenda. Thank you. Commissioner Davis. I second that. Thank you. Commissioner Howard to your motion. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I don't have much to say except that uh, clearly staff especially has been putting in a lot of work uh, to make necessary revisions. Uh, I go through this stuff and I'm not super engaged per, to, to be completely honest, but what I see is that there's been a lot of attention to detail. There's a lot of just dotting the I's, crossing the T's and making sure that all the considerations that are brought forth from the state, from the public, uh, are being addressed and that this is a, a, a pretty routine uh, record keeping uh, effort from what I can see and I would support the effort. Thank you, Commissioner Davis. Uh, yes, I'll be supporting the motion as well. Um, I, I really applaud the focus on environmental justice. Uh, it is, uh, it's a sad fact about the country, and and I'm happy to be a part of Sunnyvale, where we're we're 
endeavoring to change that. And uh, uh, I think uh, Commissioner Cerrone for pointing out the the small numerator problems that affected some of the charts. Um, let's get that housing built and that will change. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Howard, uh, your hand is up. <laughs> okay, I thought we had fixed that. So uh, Commissioner Shukla. Okay. Um, well, I have no other hands, so uh, I'll be supporting the motion. I echo what my colleagues have said. I think staff did a lot of hard work in updating this, and I and I think that it's worthy of council's support and adoption. Uh, with that, recording officer, please conduct a roll call vote. Commissioner Davis. Yes. Commissioner Howe. Yes. Commissioner Shukla. Yes. Commissioner Howard. Yes. Chair Pine. Yes. Commissioner Cerrone. Yes. Vice Chair Iglesias. Yes. The motion passes with seven yeses. Thank you. And that brings us to item number 423-0682, forward recommendation of the City Council, proposed project downtown specific plan amendment initiation to study changes to the development intensities and standards for block 18 of the downtown specific plan to an increase the allowable maximum office square footage of 205,000 square feet and increase the maximum allowable building height from 75 feet to 85 feet. The location is downtown specific block 18 bounded by West Washington Avenue, South Sunnyvale Avenue, West Iowa Avenue, and South Matilda Avenue. And the zoning is uh, downtown specific plan block 18. Is there a staff report? Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Sean Mendron, Planning Officer. I'll be presenting this item for uh, Shadel Devadia, uh, Senior Planner. Um, as you mentioned, it's a specific plan amendment initiation request for downtown uh, specific plan block 18. Uh, next slide. Uh, this is the a map of the downtown zoning districts. Um, we've had them all highlighted here. Block 18 is the yellow area, which is designated in the plan as the commercial core. Um, it can includes uh, six or seven, uh, or six, I think it is, uh, different sub-blocks, uh, many of which have um, been redeveloped or are under construction. Uh, we have one remaining block or two remaining blocks left, sub-block six and uh, 1B, which has an entitlement, um, um, which they'll be working on uh, sometime in the near future. Uh, next slide. Uh, existing general plan designation is the downtown specific plan. Uh, the zoning for this area is uh, DSP block 18. Uh, the existing land uses is mixed are mixed use, um, including commercial, retail, residential, and office uses. Uh, the, um, as uh, Chair Pine mentioned, the applicant's request is a specific plan amendment initiation to study changes to this uh, specific plan to increase the development intensities for office up to 205 with an additional 205,000 uh, square feet max and increase the allowable height on blocks, uh, sub-block six north, uh, which would be closest to the AMC and Whole Foods uh, up to 85 feet, or sorry, got that backwards, Josh, uh, <laughs> uh, and to 85 feet on the Washington side of um, sub-block six. Uh, next slide. And this is a map of the overall site plan. Um, this is just here for reference to kind of show where the mix of uses are. Um, as you can see, most of the office space is located along Matilda. 
um, and we do have office space in the uh, our mixed use with office uh, in the orange along Washington with ground floor retail and then other retail along McKinley um, and some housing that'll go along Iowa um, in the near future. Um, block Sublock 6 is located between Washington and uh, McKinley and uh, Murphy and Sunnyvale Avenue. Uh, next slide. So this uh, just goes over the Block 18 allowances. Um, so total Block 18 is about 37 acres. And that's the largest site downtown. Um, current height uh, is 75 feet. There was an exception for the movie theater up to 80 feet. Um, we have a development agreement that was approved back in 2020. I believe it was, um, for Block 18, which allowed uh, modifications to Subblock 3, which is the one that's currently under construction uh, near Redwood Square. Um, so that uh, increased uh, the residential unit count, um, added additional uh, office square footage, um, and didn't change the max, uh, max commercial square footage. Um, it did change the square footage and, or sorry, the allowable height um, sorry, Josh, I'm getting this one messed up here. Okay, so sorry, this, this is, um, we had some changes in height uh, with the development agreement. So 85 feet um, for block six, 111 uh, feet for sub-block uh, three north, which is the um, office building. 142 feet, which is sub-block three south, which is the residential tower that's currently under construction, and then up to 90 feet for sub-block one, um, which is on Matilda and, uh, and McKinley. Uh, next slide. And these next slides uh, just have some of the massing diagrams that would be pro uh, proposed for sub-block six. So this is the corner of um, if you bottom left-hand side would be Redwood Square. And if you're looking at sub-block six, uh, that's Murphy and McKinley Avenue. Um, so it'd be more of a uh, kind of a donut-shaped building uh, with an interior courtyard area. Um, it'd have a defined base middle and top. And the maximum height would be uh, uh, 85 feet um, at that point. Uh, next slide. And this is the view from Sunnyvale Avenue, again, um, having a defined base middle and top, which is one of the um, design standards within the downtown specific plan. And then also for point of reference would be the uh, office building on the north side. Um, that would also be increased up to 85 feet. Um, they'll have some step, step uh, sorry, setbacks on uh, that building and some different carve outs to add some uh, facade interest along the Sunnyvale. Avenue uh, facade. Uh, next slide. Um, the alternatives include a, a recommendation to city council to initiate uh, the specific plan, initiation to study and consider amending block down down the block eighteen in the downtown specific plan, and evaluate the development standards for the trans transition of buildings on Sunnyvale Avenue. Um, that's been an important element in the downtown specific plan, and consider amendments to the current and uh, amendments to the current and find that the action is exempt from the California Environmental Protection Act. Um, 
We'd also recommend that they accept applications for a downtown specific plan amendment and also an amendment for the uh, development agreement because that would also have to be adjusted from the one that was uh, previously approved back in 2020. Um, we're recommending that that not be submitted until after January 1st, uh, 2024, just due to staffing issues at this point and a lot of other um, projects and general plan amendment initiations that were approved that are waiting for Moffitt Park to get approved uh, or considered tomorrow night. Um, the other alternative, alternative one and two with modifications or uh, alternative four is to not initiate uh, the request. Uh, next slide. Uh, staff is recommending alternatives one and two, which is to initiate um, the uh, general plan initiation for block 18. This is also um, require an amendment to the development agreement and also um, to uh, require that they not uh, submit the applications until after January 1st, 2024. And that concludes staff's presentation. Thank you. A uh, reminder to my colleagues to use the raise hand button to indicate that they wish to speak. Uh, I had a couple questions. Uh, and I uh, just to so just to kind of clarify, uh, the existing development agreement already allows 85 feet to for the southern portion of subblock six. So if we took no if our if if no action was taken that would re remain in effect correct like the only height that we'd act that the only height that we are actually we would actually be increasing by adopting it would be in the northern portion correct okay uh and this might this might be more of a question for the applicant but i'm i guess i was a little curious why we're do why why we're doing this now and we, this wasn't done in 2020 just because i just because with staff workload i know it's often best to try to do like a certain area all at once so i'm just a little curious why we're doing this now and not three years ago yeah i think that'd be a good uh, question for the applicant to answer for you okay thank you uh next up is commissioner Stroney. Uh, thank you, Chair, and thanks for the presentation. Um, so, a question for staff: If we, so the uh, you know the plan's already been approved some time ago and everything. If we approve this, uh, uh, the st start the st amendment process or any of this, uh, the new state laws do not apply, right? This is all kind of grandfathered in because it was proposed and. Uh, relating to like residential or any state laws, let's say in the last couple of years would not apply. Is that right? Uh, any state laws would currently apply unless it's uh, designated in the development agreement um, with something different. So um, they could in theory use SB 330 if they wanted to, but as since we're going into development agreement with this, they're going into development agreement with the city, uh, they'll work with us on on the housing capacity for the site. Okay, interesting. So e even though uh, this was proposed before SB three thirty was passed, all right. Um, what does it mean, uh, according from the staff report? What does it mean to 
evaluate the development standard for the transition of the buildings on Sunnyvale Avenue? Um, originally, I think what we had envisioned with the downtown specific plan was to provide a step down on block six towards Sunnyvale Avenue, since then that transitions into more of a residential neighborhood. Um, the increase in height up to 85 feet for the office building on the northern half um, just creates a little bit taller of a wall than we were anticipating. So we just wanna look at um, our design standards and make sure that we had uh, good facade articulation and step backs to provide that transition. Okay, uh, it seems like there was a community room proposed as a community benefit uh, in 2020. Is that still in there somewhere? It is still in there somewhere, um, probably block six at some point. And I think the applicant can uh, respond to that question for us. All right. Uh, so I, uh, you know, we all continue to be concerned about retail. So I fully support, and I'm quoting again from the staff report, uh, staff believes that retail use is an important aspect of downtown Sunnyvale and that a balance of uses be maintained to consider additional office square footage. And later on, it says staff supports the proposed SBI to allow further analysis and study. The study could consider specifying a minimum retail square footage to ensure that retail uses are not minimized for this block as it embodies the commercial core of downtown Sunnyvale. And uh, we discussed a lot of this in the Moffat Park plan too. Although the current trends may not be supportive of a robust office or retail market, the future needs for both of these types of uses should be encouraged and supported. Uh, <clears throat> so I noticed the, um, the downtown specific plan in the block 18 development agreement established maximums for office area residential units and commercial retail. Minimum requirements were not established um, other than the uh, general plan housing element to require uh, certain housing density. Um, so first a question about the retail. Is retail required along Washington for block six? Uh, the way the development agreement is worded, um, they can go up to uh, maximum commercial square footage, but we don't have a minimum threshold. We would want to see retail along Washington Avenue um, with the general plan initiation. We'd want to study how much retail is gonna wrap around either onto Sunnyvale or further down Murphy. Uh, but it's not currently required? Uh, it's not required in the development agreement, no. And so um, I'm looking at the phrase, uh, the study could consider specifying a minimum retail square footage. Could that be changed from could to it would or should uh, consider specifying a minimum retail square footage? Uh, yes, the commission can add that into the motion uh, for the recommendation to council. Um, how about block 3N along Washington? Is that... Uh... That's currently under construction. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, retail along the frontage there. Okay. Um, 
Okay. That's all I have right now. But I, I, I want to point out that, uh, you know, besides thanking staff, uh, I certainly appreciate that City Line has been, uh, uh, or related entities have been a great partner with working with the city to rebuild our downtown over many years. And some great work has been done. Uh, most importantly, the work was able to continue through the pandemic period. So uh, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Cerny. Next up is Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Chair. So uh, as, as I'm reading this, there's not a change being proposed to the number of residential units or the re retail space. It's uh, we're, It sounds like we're adding basically one floor on top for 265,000 square feet of uh, commercial. Is that about what, what, what that sounds like? Because yeah, we, we're increasing the height by 10 feet, so you would be able to add another floor is, is kind of what it sounds like. Uh, yeah, we're increasing the height to get the enough floor plate and office space that they would need um, for market leasing ability. And cool. then the additional height would also accommodate um, potential retail on the ground floor. And so typically the ground floor retail, we do want it a little bit taller height. Yeah. Um, so that 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 extra height gives them that flexibility. Okay. Along with the extra floor for office space. I can get that. Um, it, was there is there has there been any thought? There's the term of the daylight plane and how much height you've got on Sunnyvale Avenue versus Murphy Avenue. Um, is is there any thought to uh, maybe the height towards Sunnyvale Avenue would be one thing, and then the height towards Murphy Avenue would be another thing, such that instead of like just it might be like, you know, maybe it goes one floor higher over on Murphy and one floor lower over on Sunnyvale. Um, yeah, if you to look at the, the transition. Yeah, if you look at the massing studies, um, they have some of that kind of transition proposed. Uh, we do have some uh, elements in the design standards in the specific plan about being next to uh, Murphy Avenue and some transitions that are required across Washington. So the design on Washington will have to address that in oh, addition yeah. to the Sunnyvale elevation. I liked Commissioner Cerrone's uh, suggestion about the wording that that we should try to encourage retail on the ground floor, which we, we, we've said this over and over and over again, and the developer seems to get it, but it, it doesn't hurt to, to spell that out. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Should, should encourage a minimum is probably what, um, where we're going with that. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's got a good uh, friendly move to make. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Howe. Thank you. Just briefly, um, in approximately 2020, some of these plans and the development agreement came through the planning commission. Will that happen here again if the study says that some things should be changed? Uh, yes. If Thank the, you. That's all you needed? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Shukla. Thank you. Uh, I have a question about um, uh, in the application, it says uh, there is a recommend, uh, there is a concept plan convert. 22,000 square feet of flex space to office space. So it's in three and which is under construction. So why we are right now changing it existing because that must be approved, correct? It's under construction. So Correct. It was approved. Um, the flex space is located on the second floor of the office building on Washington on block three north. Um, we had designated that area as flex space. I think originally the developer was looking at either retail or possibly a, a gym uh, to go up there, but it was just a challenge 
to get people to go through a lobby or entryway to get up to the second floor. Uh, so they just want to transition it back to office space and use that credit for the additional square footage um, and apply it to that. Oh, thank you. Uh, it makes sense now because I, I was reading through it and now. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Commissioner Shukla. And uh, seeing no additional hands, I will uh, go ahead and open the public hearing on this specific item. Members of the public wishing to address the Planning Commission, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer. Use the raise hand feature now or dial star nine on telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call upon members participating in person first, then the recording officer will ask remote participants to unmute when it is their turn to address the Planning Commission. There is one applicant, 10 minutes is provided at the beginning. 10 minutes are provided at the beginning of the public hearing to address the Planning Commission along with five minutes at the end of the public hearing. Is there an applicant presentation? Good evening, everyone. All right, I really don't need a microphone. For those of you that know me, no, I don't need a microphone. But uh, it'll will... be needed for the for people watching at home. Well, um, I'm sure that uh, there's a lot of them. I know this is a very important topic to most of the residents of Sunnyvale. Uh, good evening, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Josh Rupert. I'm here representing STC Block Six. Um, I actually work for a company called Hunter Partners. We're the commercial developer for um, CityLine Sunnyvale. Here with me this evening is Dave Hopkins with Saris Regis. He's the uh, representative for the residential um, developers as well. So, slide, please. So before we talk about the future, I think it's important that we spend a few minutes here talking about the past. And I say we um, because I think it's important to talk about the global we. Um, because downtown belongs to all of us. It doesn't belong to Hunter Partners or Saris Regis uh, or the Planning Commission or City Council. It belongs to Sunnyvale. And I say that because when we started this project in 2015, it sat empty for a decade. And some of you, Commissioner Howe, Commissioner Howard, others, remember what it was like when we took over. There was a two-story rotting carcass of a retail that had been sitting there for a decade. There was a Macy's that was dilapidated. Um, and we, with our partners at JP Morgan and Saras Regis, came to the Planning Commission and City Council and said, we think we can you know, work with the stakeholders and you believed in us. Um, and we delivered um, what we promised. And we think that we have delivered something that's, that's amazing. And we believe that the city of Sunnyvale is, is amazing and the downtown is amazing. And, you know, some of the things that we've accomplished, we couldn't have done without the stakeholders of Sunnyvale. That includes the Planning Commission, City Council, and we're, we're nearly there. Um, and that's what we're here for today. One of the questions was, why didn't we come and bring this presentation and have this done back in 2020, 2019, when this was originally approved? And that's, we'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the presentation, but that's because we weren't sure in 2020, um, there was a road that was added late in the um, in the process um, that bifurcated that block, um, and we weren't sure what the market was going to dictate. And so we're sure now, and that's why we're here. But when we started this process, there have been a lot of successes that have happened, starting primarily with our friends from Saris Regis, who completed 274 residential units downtown, starting with those that were left empty, um, the flats, 199 units, including Flats West, 
uh, 74 units of new construction. Um, they're constructing right now 479 units of new construction, the Martin, which is in this picture here. For those of you that recognize that picture is from our topping out ceremony of the office, which some of you attended back in May. The retail, which I know a lot of you are excited about. You mentioned COVID. We opened the AMC March 14th, 2020. Does that date sound familiar? Yeah, you're shaking your heads. You all know that. That was when the first shelter-in-place order was done. But we still managed to move forward. The Whole Foods is doing amazing. The AMC, the Target. We've got Urban Plates open, Pacific Catch. We've leased up 80% of that tuck under retail. I mean, we're doing great things down there, and it couldn't have happened without, without an entire community behind us. The office. We put a lot of community benefits. $7.4 million in community benefits for the office. $7 million in housing fees. And it's not about just the money we put in. What this doesn't show is the $17 million that Saras Regis has paid in park fees. We're building those two office buildings in a market that, frankly, the office is a little, a little sketchy. But we're doing it because downtown Sunnyvale is a place people want to be. They still want to be there. We believe. We know you believe, too. We're excited about what's happening. We just got certified fit well for the entire site downtown. Slide, please. Now, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. This is downtown. This picture was taken a week ago. What you see in front of you in the foreground is the new block three. That's where the old Macy's was. Those are two seven-story office buildings. What you see in the background is the new AMC, the new Whole Foods, the Target, the Flats, Flats West. What we're here to talk about is that empty space on the West. It's the parking lot and construction laydown yard. That's block six. That's the piece, the remaining piece that's left. Slide, please. Now, we're talking about the amendment and what, we, what we're hoping to accomplish. Let's talk about what the amendment isn't. It's not gonna change any of the residential unit counts that was already approved. All we're doing is shifting the units from across the entire block to the Southern block so that we match the configuration that's already been established in block three. So what does that do? It puts it closer to the Whole Foods, puts it closer to the AMC, puts it closer to New Redwood Square, which we'll be delivering next year. It puts it closer to the art that's already on site. So we're just making it more synergistic. What else are we doing? Asking about retail. We're still gonna have liner retail on Murphy. We asked about Washington. We're gonna have retail on Washington in that office. It will be there. We're going to keep the retail. So it's not an issue. Now, what you can't do, you cannot make me have a minimum amount of retail. Why is that? Because if you do that, you're going to force me potentially to have dark storefronts. We're doing everything we can to lease that retail up. I promise you we are. We're doing, and we're doing a really good job, frankly. But what we can't do is say you have to have this amount of retail because if you do, then there's the potential that you're going to have dark storefronts with all this residential, and you don't want that. Now, we had a really, us and staff made a really good decision when we, when we um, designated that space in the second story of Block 3 North, Building 250 as Flex, because that gave us the opportunity to go to the market when we thought we could have that space as a retail and realize the market wasn't going to support it. Slide, please. So that's why part of this request is coming back and designating that 22,000 square feet as office, because we know the market's going to support that now as opposed to retail. What else are we doing? We already mentioned it. We're going to go and get additional 85 square feet, or excuse me, 85 foot height on the north, which all it does is matches what's already been approved on the south, which Commissioner Pine brought up. So we're, we're really just making consistent on the whole block. That's it. 
That's really not a huge ask. What else is that? It's still 25 feet less than what's already been approved on block three north. So we're doing that consistent step down already from block three to block six. We're also approving, we are going to have the wedding cake structure that Commissioner Howard brought up. So we're going to have step downs from the top all the way to Sunnyvale. So we'll have some nice structure as we're moving down through the facade. We're also going to have terraces. One of the things we learned in COVID on the office side, which you'll see, which you are seeing as Block 3 North is coming, is that terraces are critical in a post-COVID environment for the office. You want your office tenants to get out of their cubicles, out of their spaces, and into the outside, so that we're going to have something similar to that on Block 6. That will happen. What else are we doing? We're keeping the retail on the ground plan. I say that again only because we know how important the retail is. We're retail developers. We're going to make sure that the retail stays on Murphy. We want to act, continue to activate the ground plane into Redwood Square. Slide, please. Lastly, and I mean this sincerely, why are we doing this? We want to complete the ground. We want to complete the downtown. We want to finish what we started. Why did we not do this before? Because what we had before really was just a placeholder. We needed to let the market tell us what was right for the downtown. We know now what we have is right. And that's what we're, that's what we're predicting. Now, the massing studies that we've shown you, as we all know, you guys have been doing this long enough. Sean's been doing this long enough. It may change as we go through the design process and we go through the entitlement. You will see this as we go through the application process. You will see what ultimately we're going to come to you with an application, which brings me to my last point. Staff has done an amazing job getting us to this point. Keep in mind, this is just an initiation request. This is not the application. It's just an initiation request. The one thing we'd ask is that you don't hamstring us to that January 1st date. Downtown is critically important to Sunnyvale. We know that people have been waiting. We know that Moffat Park and is obviously important. The two applications for Perry Park are important. Downtown's critically important. We need the synergy of being able to submit an application in the time that we can submit the application. Whether that happens naturally January or not, we just can't stop us. So if we can get that through as quickly as possible, we need to be able to do that. So we're going to work with staff and whatever makes sense in a natural time progression, but we just feel like it would be unfortunate if we were hamstrung to that date. So with that, Dave and I are here to answer any questions that you might have, um, and we thank you for your time. Thank you. And you have a question from uh, Commissioner Howe. Thank you. Welcome back. Thank you. Two things, of course. Um, <clears throat> the retail is important to us, of course. Okay. And you talk about dark storefronts. Okay. You're going to build a certain amount of retail. For sure. Right? Yes. Some minimum amount. There will be a, an amount. Yes. Right. And so if you put in a certain minimum amount, how would you have a dark storefront? If it's within the plan, I, I'm just saying you can't dictate. We, we just can't dictate at this stage at a massing level how much that square footage is going to be. As we're designing the project, there will be a minimum amount of square footage in the plans as we go through the entitlement that we'll agree to. But at this stage, we just can't agree to X amount of retail square footage. It just makes it too difficult for us at this stage to agree to something like that. Do at some point, there will be an amount of retail square footage that we'll agree to in the plan. So the two entities control virtually all of Block 18 with the possible exception of that bank. Is that true? And Target. Oh, and Target. Yeah, yeah. we don't own the Target. Target owns themselves. Well, they're sort of retail anyway. 
at least they have been in the past. Is there any problem with you updating for each one of them, each approval that you come for, that you say, this is the amount of retail we are shooting for, and this is the amount of retail in this one, and this is how much the retail is accumulative in block 18. Yeah, and I think as we move forward in the process, you know, again, this is just an initiation of the amendment. I think as we move forward with the application, there will be an amount of retail that will be with that plan that we will agree to. Sure. I just think at this point in the initiation process, we can't with good conscience say we'll agree to X amount of retail in block six, because I just, again, the retail five years ago, retail was when we, you heard myself and Deke come to the, the dais and say, retail is incredibly difficult. Right now, retail is, is frankly better than it's been in a while. Um, and so it's difficult at this stage to have us agree to that because what you don't want in a residential and a dense residential environment is our dark storefronts. And so we don't want to commit to something that we can't in good conscience believe that we're going to be able to lease. Sure. My question is, and let's start it over again. On each one of the approvals that you come through the planning commission with, can you say this is the amount of retail in this one, in this project that we want, and this is how much it is for the whole block six if you're coming after di after different approvals, like you do two or three buildings and you do two or th three things, we want to know what the accumulative total is and what the target is. Yes, I think as we come through with an application, mm -hmm. we will have X amount of retail on block three north, or excuse me, block six north, mm -hmm. X amount of retail on block six south. And this is the cumulative retail that's currently in the project. Okay. So you don't have a problem with doing that? When we're submitting an application yes. and we have a design, no. And you, you say, this is how much retail is here, 100 square foot, and we've already worked on 500 over here. That, that's so right. the accumulative on this one block is 600 square foot as an example. I, I, yes, I think we're comfortable doing we're certainly comfortable doing that. Do you have a problem with that? Instead of putting in could or should? <laughs> I'm just asking. Uh, well, question, uh, Sharani. I have some comments about that. Okay. The other part is, what's this about January sixth? Why is there a disagreement? Or January first? I'm sorry. I repeat the question. He asked the he he asked that they not be hamstrung to January sixth, and I don't quite understand what he meant, but. The two of you should be able to figure out what he meant and explain it to me. <laughs> um, it, it's mainly, uh, as I mentioned, a staffing issue. Um, we, we know we're going to have quite a few applications coming in, um, potentially from Moffat Park, if it's approved tomorrow night. And then uh, we have uh, potentially general plan amendments for Perry, Perry Park. Um, for the steel wave site and residential, and there's a potential study issue from one of the other council members from some additional housing. Sure. Does so, the city council set the priority for the planning group on what they're working on? Uh, we report back to them and let them know what 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 we have staffing to do, and they can prioritize stuff for us if they would. But like they to. do that. Yeah. There's your shot at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's what we were hoping that your recommendation will be that you all agree that to, you know, perhaps not to keep 
that January 1st date and then let, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll say the same thing to council if and when that. As one commissioner, I feel, and haven't had sort of a dual role here over time, this planning commission should not be telling the city council what to prioritize for the city employees, in my opinion. Okay. Okay. No further questions. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner Howe. Next up is Commissioner Shukla. Thank you. I I agree with um with your uh, that downtown is changed, but why it is changed? Because you put the urban plates, people started coming. Like you put the Pacific Edge, the retail. It just when you put something, it attracts more people. And if you don't continue. Um, so it's like, I think you have doubts about it, but I don't think you should doubt because that's the only way it will go. Trust me. No one has doubts about, about, I mean, so retail, yeah, no, because no you, one, listen, no, no one wants to lease retail more than I do. There isn't a single person in Sunnyvale who wants to lease retail downtown more than I do. I'm just saying that we have to have realistic expectations. And, and that's the key is that we can't set unrealistic expectations and expect that if you were to say, Josh, you need to lease a million square feet downtown, I would tell you we can't. So that's my point. Can I ask you then how do you like you um, the, you came with the office square? You want more office space because you have probably tenant or you are having demand. People are asking for it. Is that correct? That's why you are adding. We we believe that the office demand downtown will will dictate. Yes, correct. But it's both ways, correct? Like we believe that the retail will bring more people. Like, I mean, just I'm well, just I'm yeah. just like I bringing. Mean, so we you. develop office and retail, and yes. we are programming what we believe the market will dictate. No, no, I agree. I, I'm just like I'm just saying that both uh, both have to go hand in hand to to make it vibrant to connect it from McKinley to uh, the uh, there. It is a. Uh, it is that is the best way to make that project successful by adding and attracting retail because you will have to attract retail because we, we don't disagree i mean so yeah so i mean i'm the one who who walks office tenants through and i will tell you the first question they ask it's not about office it's about residential and it's about retail yeah so i understand that more than anyone i just again i'm just saying that Retail is sometimes difficult to lease. And so we just need to be realistic. That's all. Yeah. So I have a just question that wh why did you decide to add extra height? Because you, I mean, you, I mean, because you already had that height, but you have the more demands or, or you can go up. So why not 75 to 95? Or like, why did you add extra one four? So we, well, first off, so we, we could get the square footage we needed with just adding the 10 feet. So we wanted to be consistent across the block. We didn't want to ask for more than we needed. So that was the reason why we went to 85 is we could get the square footage that we felt we needed with just adding the some uh, and, and one last question. Of course. Uh, that, of course, you will have your building massing different, but across the AMC theater, you will have this flat residential, the whole tall building. Um, and I hope, I mean, there is a path going. So I'm just kind of, I'm sure you, once you set that, it is going to be that, correct? Like the office building is on the north and residential in the south. So is that, I'm just curious about it. Why did you mass plan it that way? Uh, good evening, Dave Hopkins with Saris Regis. Uh, great, great to see you all. It's been a long time for some of you. Um, so yeah, on the south side, very, very similar to block south, uh, three north and south. Uh, 
with the exception of a large park on Block 3 South, we're designing a residential building that also faces and opens up into the park. Don't read too much into the massing in the plan you see right yes, now. Yes, yes, I agree. It's very much just illustrative of block diagrams that you do early on in order to try to answer the, the high-level questions that staff was asking us at this point, but it will evolve significantly. Um, and I also say there will be retail on the ground floor of all of these buildings. Some of the nuances that we think about that we don't always explain are our leasing office needs to be somewhere within that retail. So is it 20 feet wide? Is it 15 feet wide? It needs to be appropriate for the number of units and the, and the configuration of units and the security that we designed so people can access them safely. Same with the office. You need a lobby that's you know safe, functional, and attractive. So those are the design details we get into that starts to inform and tweak the retail square footage around the edges. It will be all along the ground floor of Murphy Avenue. That This is our downtown, your downtown, like Josh said. It would be a failure if we didn't have retail on the ground floor of the buildings on Murphy and Washington. So just want to make that 100% clear. Yeah. I'm sorry I diverted from your question. No, just just I I and but uh, but I I just as you said that there will be connection from McKinley all the way to the Murphy Avenue. Um, uh, so there is a uh, the roadway, and you said there will be residential parks. Just yeah, I mean I mean I see it, but sometimes this breaks it. So I just yeah no, the, there's a there's a mid block road yeah. just like on block three, and then there's the Murphy Avenue, which you know I will I would argue is going to be the nicest downtown Main Street and, you know, Silicon Valley, Santa Clara County with large sidewalks. Everything's the same as the specific plan envisionment. All of it. We're not changing any of that. And it, and, you know, for those of you who were there with us when we went through that, it was walkability, walkability, walkability. It was how do you get a person from Caltrain through Redwood Square down Murphy Avenue? And we, we called it a, a loop. Um, that, that's the same vision. Nothing has changed. And one last question, the flex space, um, you said that you were trying to attract some uh, um, health health club or something like that, the way across the street there is one. Is that why are you like, so now you want to make, you want to convert that into commercial offices? Well, we still haven't. Yeah. yeah. So we, we still, uh, we, we haven't given up on that concept. Um, and so it's just that, the second story retail factor uh, is is much different than it was when we were looking at that originally. So again, we we're working with staff. We we came up with a both of us came up with a good plan for that, and we uh, had been marketing that, and it just didn't it didn't come to fruition. So that because we were looking at this this DSP amendment, um, and we're looking for office anyway, it just seemed it was the right time to go ahead and make that um, that change as well. Thank you. Of course, and. Real quick, because I just thought of it when you were talking about benefits. To your question earlier about the community room, so we actually have already constructed that. So it is at um, it's it's actually at two forty one TAFE, um, and it's under um, it's it's available to community um, community groups right now to um, to um, utilize, and uh, so it's available um, now. And um, you can contact Connie and Maria at the uh, at um, uh, the city and lease it up or utilize it through um, our property management group. Well, thank you. And that uh, segues into Commissioner Sarney's questions. So on the, on the question of retail, and uh, we certainly don't want uh, vacant uh, retail. We talked about this a lot during the Moffat Park specific plan. And some of the things that we, you know, we did there, the, the 
the definition of retail was was greatly expanded to include a lot of different things. And uh, so, I mean, the fundamental concern is that uh, if if any of those areas, those ground floor areas or whatever, build out as as office, it will always be office. We'll never get the retail back. And uh, I don't believe retail will be, you know, retail will be dead forever. Uh, so uh, the the idea is to whatever we put in there, that it be built and structured the infrastructure as supporting retail, even if it isn't necessarily retail the first year or whatever, if market conditions don't, don't apply, but that it, it can become retail. The, this uh, downtown is going to be there for decades and decades. And if we're looking at this, I won't be looking at it, but in 20 years, if, uh, if Galen's looking at it uh, and said, wait, what the hell, what happened to the retail here? And, and he can tell uh, his son a story about how back in this day, you know, it was a pandemic and everybody thought retail was dead. And so we, uh, took out all the retail and put in office, you know, we don't want to have that, right? So somehow we want to uh, uh, get uh, to ensure that for the future, that at least this can be become retail and uh, hopefully it will in the short term. But if it, if, it, if, it, if it doesn't make economic sense, maybe something else goes in there temporarily, but still that can happen. And I think putting, uh, you know, changing it from what could for the study is pretty mild. Just to be just to be very clear, I, I just want to be very clear. The only thing we're talking about that actually is is changing is that flex space in the second story. Everything else, with the exception of the lobby space that we're talking about on the ground floor, will be designated as retail. It'll have, you know, in most cases, at least in the office, it's currently being designed. We'll have higher floor to floor heights to accept retail uh, we'll we'll be planning for it just like we have in every ground floor space on the site including the uh, i might mention including the the minimum project spaces underneath the flats where we had to commandeer spaces that weren't originally designed for food and beverage i mean we put we put grease interceptors in we put grease shafts in i mean they will be retail spaces so um, if i wasn't clear about that or we weren't clear about that the, the ground floor spaces in these buildings will be retail unless they are amenity spaces for the office or the residential so just to so be clear what's the concern then about specifying a minimum uh, i again I, my my point and i think mr i think commissioner howe was 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 very articulate in what he was saying it's just at this point in the initiation process where we're looking at massing, saying you need to have 50,000 square feet of retail in these two buildings is just, it's, it's just illogical. And so I think the point is, is that when we get to submitting an application where we'll say, well, these, this building can, can sustain 15,000 square feet of retail and you guys are looking at it and looking at an actual plan, then that's the point, the appropriate time to designate this space as retail. And you can see like, just for example, in the office, Josh, why is this not retail? Well, that space is office lobby and that's an elevator cab. And that's why that space is not in this, you know, so for example, that's, that's what I think, that's my point of why designating at this stage, you need to have this much square footage for retail doesn't make sense. And well, we're not talking about 
um, you know, uh, making the minimum some maximum number. It's uh, it's uh, uh, trying to put a floor on it. Uh, but uh, all right. Uh, well, e even still, Josh, unless you want to say, Josh, the minimum needs to be something that we can obviously guarantee, like 5,000 square feet, which we can comfortably agree to. I don't think that we're, again, I just don't think we're at the stage in a massing study where we can agree to, to that comfortably. Right. And not that we're suggesting doing it tonight. Uh, we're talking about it as an objective of the study uh, initiation that, that comes out the other end. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not going to argue for uh, the viability of second floor retail. Uh, you know, everybody knew that was a problem a long, long time ago. Mr. Mentrin? Uh, yeah, if I just might add a point of clarification too, just with the uh, general plan, if the initiation is approved when we go back through with the general plan amendment, one of the requirements will be a market analysis. So when they submit the amendment, they'll have a proposal of how much retail they're gonna show on the ground floor and the analysis will look at that. Mm -hmm. And that's when uh, the commission and council can make a recommendation on whether they wanna establish that minimum that they show on the plans or if the market analysis says no you need to do a million square feet of retail which it won't but does the uh, expansive uh you know definition of retail that we used for moffat park does this apply to the rest of the city uh, no that's specific for moffat park uh, we downtown specific plan actually calls it commercial and then we just have a list of different uses that are allowed within that range well, and, and one other thing, Commissioner, is that because this request is so so small, um, you know, that was already designated. So, I mean, I guess staff could could study that. I guess if you if you chose to reopen that, um, but because of of the scope on this, that was that was not something that we'd originally discussed. But it it is fairly expansive already. I mean, that is something we looked at in great detail when we did the downtown specific plan. So when we have had retailers come in. Um, it isn't something that we've had issues with, um, and if it has been, staff has been really good about looking at conditional uses, conditional use permits, and worked with us about that. So that can say definitively that's not been an issue downtown. Uh, regarding the uh, January start date, uh, I mean, uh, as a longtime program manager, I had a problem with the what what we did with several of the projects, say until Moffat Park is done. We can't start those because, you know, I just know staff does not, everybody on staff doesn't work all the time on one thing. There, there are gaps that happen just because you can't get the information or you're waiting, you know, so there is some interleaving of, of uh, programs to be uh, that is possible. Uh, nevertheless, I can see where this is kind of a proxy for not overloading staff by saying we're not going to do anything on these other things until these things happen. Uh, still, if there if there is a way to, I think we all, it's been a long time coming, we want to see downtown moving along and it's key to the whole city, right? So if there's any way to do that, uh, I think we'd like to see that happen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Howard. Thank you, Chair. Uh, <clears throat> so some of the discussion tonight is around here is around timing and about what we'd want to see. 
uh, and I'm not going to hold you to this, but would you hazard a, uh, you, you've got dates in mind when the Redwood Square is going to come online and when the, when you're going to be able to pull up the retail on those, do, do you, would, would you be comfortable sharing about when you think that's going to happen? You can talk Redwood Square. I can talk a little detail. So yeah. the park is being constructed with the residential towers. Uh, we've got two different, this is an ongoing conversation with city staff. Yeah. It's very complicated. Two different distinct dates where we want to take occupancy of those two different towers. The park is the second of those two dates, which is roughly July of next year. If we don't have the last winter um, and, you know, construction is construction, but that's what we're headed towards next summer. Well, but uh, filling out the, You'll get the residential online, but when does the, the the west side of Murphy Avenue start to fill up with new restaurants and stuff? Well, the, so we have one one retail tenant that's on the west side okay. on our side, and he's got, I think you'll have one or two. Um, we're we're in discussions. There's active leasing negotiations as we speak right now. Because because my thinking is, I, I wouldn't want to say a, a minimum retail scrupulous tonight just because you know we are in early things. But one of the things that I like, you know, it, it, these plans take time to, you, you get the DPI and you get to this and you get that. Um, by the time that we get to seeing the the ideas for the buildings to approve on them, I would like to think that we would be looking at the stuff that's already been built and and that would kind of inform like, oh, I really like this aspect of what, what has been built. I'd wish that this would be different. That might inform you know what we would say about you know the, the block three development based. Or, yeah, I, I can't keep track of the numbers, but um, so so that that's I don't know if this is necessarily a question or you know if you want to speak to this, but um, you know we 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 don't have to know what's going to happen right now because we're going to see what's happening in the earlier phases of the project, and that's going to inform you know, our feelings about, you know, how we, how we round out the project yeah, in a, terms of how much retail versus lobby versus, you know, whatever's going on on the ground floor. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we're always reacting to the market conditions and we're fortunate here to be living them every day Yeah, and being able to adjust, you know, where it makes sense to adjust. It's, it's kind of cool. exciting and weird that, 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 oh, we, you, you feel confident putting more uh, commercial that, that's cool. You know, I, as, as a, as an office worker, I would, who works from home, I would prefer to our offices downtown or near the Caltrain that actually happened to my company. We moved from kind of further out to a little tiny office right by the Caltrain. Um, and that might be like a, a larger trend is, is that it's more valuable to have maybe a smaller office in the downtown as to some of the offices further out. That that's just me talking a lot at this point. Uh, there was mentioned is the is the idea that the fountain structure is going to stay across from the Whole Foods. The fountain yeah. is in the, the, the fountain sculpture. Yeah, the art. Oh, the sculpture. Yeah. So, as I, now, I like that it's a fountain. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, that we do have an actual fountain that's coming as part of Redwood Square too. Okay. Um, so. I mean, as of now, that that's sort of that is the plan. Um, obviously, if if that were to change, then we would work our well our way through Arts Commission and then to City Council to to move if if that was the plan. But so as it's of right now, easier to keep it there. Yeah, I mean, it was designed to stay there. Yeah. So, and and to your question earlier, um, Commissioner Howard, about retail. Yeah. So we have, I can tell you, sort of where we are right now with what what we're referring to as Block Three. So Block Three North has fifty thousand square feet of retail currently at the ground floor. On 250, which is the West building, that's TAFE, we, we are planning for a single tenant in the ground floor. Um, we are 
in lease negotiations with that tenant currently. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll announce that tenant if and when we sign a lease. That's our sort of policy. Mm-hmm. Um, the tenant or the building, which is 200, which is the one that's on Murphy's side, um, because of sort of the edict that we had as part of the DSP and the DA um, amendments, we had, um, we are programming that in sort of a food and beverage manner, um, at least on the Murphy side. Uh, we'll have, if you recall, there's a trellis structure that's on the northeast corner of that. There'll be a piece of art that's programmed on that northeast corner as well. Um, obviously, pedestrian activity is something that, you know, we are very mindful of as we sort of spill out onto Murphy from historic Murphy to, to new Murphy. Um, and so that um, that 25,000, roughly 25,000 square feet um, that wraps around Washington uh, will be sort of food and beverage, maybe service oriented as it goes. And keep in mind, we also are programming New Francis, too. So we're extending New Francis. Um, which would be a really nice experience as you go off the Caltrain. Um, and then there's 24,000 square feet of retail that will be food and beverage entertainment around Redwood Square too. And that, that's going to be heavily programmed um, food and beverage. So we um, have been pre-leasing, trying to pre-lease that. Um, it's still a little bit early, yeah. um, frankly, because of where we are in the construction cycle. But um, we are actively leasing that, trying to lease that space now. Are so, we thinking a lot of this is going to happen in 2024? Should we should start getting, as I said, we are already leasing some of the bigger space. So yeah. we should start getting some of the smaller space. We, we do have a couple of those smaller spaces that are in LOI negotiation right now. Sure. Um, but we should have some of that starting in early 24. Okay. Thank you for that. And the, the last thing I'll, I'll note, kind of going on with uh, Commissioner Howe was pointing out that uh, we let city council to determine staff priorities. And I would be supportive of going for alternative one. And then uh, the, the decision as to personally, I think downtown's a higher priority than some other things. But I'm just a planning commissioner. Whatever Mayor Klein and them want to decide as to when the uh, application should be done, I would say let let City Council handle that. They're they're going to review this anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Commissioner Davis. Uh, thank you, Chair, fellow commissioners. Uh, so first of all, I want to thank you for the speed at which you've been working. Um, there's a development near my house that began in 2013 and. Um, you're closer to finish than they are. Um, I had, um, kind of a technical question, uh, 205,000 more square feet of office space, uh, roughly how many workers is that? That's a good question. Um, that would probably, we'd probably have depends on how, on how many it is, but probably somewhere around 150 to 200. Okay. Uh, okay. And, um. Yeah, I actually, I have to go into Redwood City, uh, downtown Redwood City fairly often. So uh, seeing how it's gone from Deadwood City to Redwood City uh, and not too long of a time, I'm pretty confident that this will be pretty vibrant um, and it will come and because uh, Redwood City is vibrant now and this is going to be a lot nicer, much, much nicer. Um, the architecture is much better. Um, I am curious as to, you know, you're asking for 205,000 more office space. Um, was was more housing considered? Yeah, we're, we're always looking at everything as possibilities. Um, and really the, the crux of this conversation being on the retail mm-hmm. is the perfect answer to your question. Um, we need there to be a mix of uses. As, as currently a Proved, we could put 314 residential units on 3.9 or 4 acres, whatever this is. And 
we wouldn't support the retail. We just couldn't. Right. Um, you know, I think I think the the density of office use probably get higher. There's there's several hundred people probably coming just from this building to support the the local um, shops. Whole Foods is a generator like you wouldn't believe. Is I mean, I'm sure you've all been and seen how how busy it is on the weekends with the residents who are at home from work and on the weekdays with employees and soon to be 500 apartment um, uh, tenants who will work at home a day or two a week. So it's this ecosystem and we're, we're really measuring it to drive to the retail being successful. Highest probability of success. We're, you know, and it needs a buffer. It needs a little bit of, of an economic engine behind it because there's gonna be another, you know, maybe not 2010, but there's always gonna be cycles in, in the real mm -hmm. estate business and the market. Um, and, and these are, these are, I mean, Josh can speak to it at length, but the, the retail business is tough. It is hard to run these businesses. Mm -hmm. Some of them are, you know, well-heeled tenants. Most are not. Most are very small businesses with, with just a little room that's, you know, mm -hmm. separating from success and failure. So we really believe in getting the economic engine to have some sort of, uh, uh, safety net to to keep driving that that foot traffic and we think office is the way to do it it's that simple when we talk about the 24-hour cycle microphone place it's kind of like the buzzword with tod you know you hear a lot of developers talk about tod the 24-hour cycle is what is what dave's alluding to so having people available to sort of you know patronize that retail and 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 truly all of these uses is is what we're looking for in a mixed use environment thank you thank you next up is next up is vice chair glacius Thank you, Chair. Uh, first off, thank you for the presentation. Um, thank you for bringing a lot of energy to our late night meeting. Um, I had several points to be quite, quite frank. There's been such conversation. I want to make sure that I, I understand clearly. First off, it sounds like there's a really good relationship between you and staff, which is fantastic. Um, are, are you supportive of the staff's recommendation? We are 100% supportive of Alternative 1. It's alternative to the comment about the January 1st, 2024 application is the only thing that we we have a concern about. And that the only concern there is just that we, we just don't want to put an artificial threshold on the application itself and the DA, the DA um, negotiation, just because we feel like it's important that when we're ready to submit, that we should be able to submit because whenever the market is available for us, we don't want to just we don't want to stop ourselves because we all know how important downtown is. And if if there is someone, I'm just just suggesting this is just as you know to articulate my point. If there was someone that came in and said we need a million square feet of office, if to get to a million square feet of office, if I needed block six, I would need to get that application in immediately. And if I had to wait for for you know January first, it, it could be what keeps us from you know our downtown from some other location. And so we just don't want to put that artificial threshold. Okay, and and to be clear. As someone who has built in Sunnyvale, not having that won't necessarily guarantee anything earlier, as I think has been referred to. I I 100% agree with that. Okay. Okay. But I just don't. I mean, again, it's just it just seems like an artificial threshold that we okay. you know, don't want to be applied to us. Fair, fair point. Um, and second, I think uh, in in 2020, I think we all learned you know best laid plans. Um, as how that goes, I'm um, so I do like the idea of being very flexible. I think Commissioner Howe has an excellent idea of probably amendment worthy of having it built into an agreement where with each step um, there is feedback from you because yeah i agree i think if you were to say now what you think it's not it's not necessarily gonna be accurate but if you give feedback on the amount of retail space you can devote over time i think that that's something that's very reasonable and, and i'm very supportive of that i think it makes it it makes it more amenable to us 
and I, again, I think that's fine. I just, again, we, we would do that anyway, sure. I think as part of the application. So I just, I just think that's sort of an organic part of the process. And then uh, last question, and it was actually more about a uh, commissioner Davis. He had the point of how many um, office workers, and I don't necessarily know what your, what your point was about that, but I do think that saying that we get um, two, approximately 200 workers out of 200,000 200, square feet is 1,000 square feet per worker. It, yeah, that, that number is probably wrong. I was thinking of, I mean, it's sort of in a post-COVID environment, we're seeing a lot less workers coming okay. because people are coming in shifts and people are coming, you know, not everyone's coming every day. People are coming in shifts. So uh, that's taking, I'm sort of taking that as a sort of a post-COVID environment. Okay. And, and just out of curiosity, and, uh, Commissioner Davis, were you thinking that there would be more people or less people? I'm assuming that you were thinking that more, there would be more people and there would be an impact because of that. Commissioner Davis? Uh, yes. I wasn't actually thinking like how many every day. I was thinking like the employment of the companies that would come in. Um, I was just curious, trying to see about thinking about how many people are there for all this retail we want? It. Okay. Well, I do think that um, you know having the the housing there, having the office space, I think it's going to bring the density. And I think with density that that retail will follow. So certainly will. But again, we I mean we do have to be mindful that you know again we're not seeing in all of our office projects that we you know we currently manage we're not seeing the office employees come back like we like we have in the past. So that's sort of what I was trying to. I mean, I assumed that was what you were getting at, and that's why I was trying to do that math in my head to get some a number that I think is probably more realistic than what we would traditionally think 2018, you know, what the uh, employee headcount would be. Okay. Well, I just, I definitely appreciate the dialogue and, I'm, and it's great to see that there's a good relationship with the city staff. Thank you. Yeah. We've got a great relationship with staff. Thank you. And most of what I wanted to ask has been answered already, but I'm just going to uh, go over, well, one thing that we've kind of gone over, but let's say that we and eventually council just adopted alternative one without alternative two and essentially left the left the staff workload questions to the city manager to the planning department uh what 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 do you anticipate and i know i'm kind of asking you to speculate but what would happen if if the application was filed early, like does the would that have what kind of ad potential adverse impacts would we be looking at? Um, we would probably just have to do some shuffling around of staffing and depending on what other applications had come in at the time. It is a legislative item, so there were, we don't have permit streamlining act um, issues with the general plan amendment. Um, not to say that we'll just take our time with it, but. Um, you know, we can get it assigned as soon as we can, whether we have consultant staff to come on and help or um, we have uh, positions that get filled by the time they submit. Okay, thank you. And my other question, and this is- You mind if I make one comment back to- Go ahead. On that, that topic, it's just maybe not always obvious or appreciated how difficult in our shoes it is to create momentum to be here right now, just to do the work that we've done to be here and then to carry it forward into the next step, especially on a project this big, that's been this long. And, and you know, we talk to the folks that are, you know, with the institutional capital uh, in, institutions that are making these decisions. And just the notion that there could be a delay can have a, a, a meaningful dynamic, you know, shift in the dynamic with the willingness to do things at a pace that I think the city uh, wants to see this happen. So. There, there's a nuance there that's that's a bit 
you know, hard to, to always understand if you're not doing it in, in our shoes. So just wanted to share that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I will say that I do, I do generally try to poke at the poke apart things when I'm asking questions from the dais, but like, I, I really do appreciate all of the effort you have gone to, to improving our downtown. I've lived here since I've lived here since 2013, which is not as long as many, many others, but like when I first moved here, downtown was pretty awful and it's not pretty awful anymore. And it's getting better by the day. Like you can just, you can just walk by week to week and see the, and see the ongoing construction. I know I was pretty frustrated when the movie theater finally opened and then it couldn't open because of the pandemic. But like, I really do appreciate all of the hard work you put into in, in, into making our downtown somewhere where you actually want to go. Uh, and my last question was kind of related to the movie theater, uh, because right now there's a really kind of nice sight line when you're on like the Murphy Avenue Ped Mall to like the little spire on top of the movie theater. And I know we're, kind, we're very much in the conceptual massing stage, but what would how would this impact this that sight line? So caveat of course is you know it's a draft yeah, right massing. obviously this is conceptual when, when we and i say we myself deke dave when we started sort of conceptually looking at at the blade sign related to the amc and we were when we were talking earlier about getting that second story amc signage which which of course is not approved in sunnyvale except for in block 18 um it was always determined that when you're when you're on murphy um, and this was obviously before um, they closed off Murphy, which makes it even more important that when you're on Murphy and you're sitting and, and dining, that you would be able to see that uh, AMC sign or that it was an AMC at the time, but that movie theater sign from from Murphy. And that is has always been the intent. Um, and and I don't think, at least at this point, that that intent has changed. So, uh, I mean, it, it is something that is iconic and, and, and is, has always been sort of an iconic feature of sort of the winding nature of Murphy and and uh, and it is positioned in a way that um, with the art piece that's that's there that um, it, it would be difficult really to to sort of lose that visual. Yeah, that like when I was looking at like the draft plan at like the conceptual plans, that was what I thought kind of looking at it. But I just I've just figured I'd ask. I, I will say that when this eventually comes back down the line, I know I'd kind of like to see a render just from the Ped Mall on Murphy Avenue, just kind of what it looks like looking south. That's just something I'd like to see when this comes back way down the line. So I'll just I'll just throw that. Out <laughs> yeah, we we will. I mean that that's such an iconic image. Uh, most people ask for that. That we will will sort of put that in the middle Rolodex and make sure that we uh, we include something like that. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Howe. Thank you. Um, alternative number two, it says accept applications for a downtown specific plan amendment and development agreements after January 1st of 2024. It's what it reads in the report. And how about something like the applicant wants the project to be timely, city council and staff continues to prioritize the work of community development. I think that would be great. May I see your cheat sheet after you after you're done? <laughs> see the sheet. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, okay, uh, that is all of the questions I have for now. So we will go to members of the public. Uh, is anybody, I have no speaker cards, so is anybody interested in speaking on this agenda item before we hear from remote speakers? Seeing none, our recording officer, do we have any remote participants wanting to speak on this item? Not at this time, Chair. Thank you. Okay, uh, and you have uh, an additional five minutes if you have any closing remarks you want to make, address any commissioner, staff concerns, et cetera. Just thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the engagement. Thank you for having this conversation. It was really fun. We're excited to be back, hopefully soon. Yep. Thank you. I will go ahead and close the public, public hearing. I will now ask for a discussion or a motion from my colleagues. Commissioner Howe. I'd make a motion, accept alternative number one and change alternative number two that the applicant wants the project to be timely. The city council and city staff will continue to prioritize the work of community development. And also something in there that you keep us informed of this project that's coming forward is this and the everything in the entire project is this when it comes to retail. Does that sound good to you? Was that, was that if clear? you were Andy, you'd be writing this, okay? <laughs> I can shorten it. I'm, make cu it. I'm, I'm cutting. <laughs> I'm cutting your work down here. So. Um, yeah, I think that works. We, it's, I mean, it's basically saying that, and somebody second the motion so we can discuss. Commissioner it. Howard, I second the motion. Thank there you, you Commissioner Howe. <laughs> Thank you. Basically, we want to say that these folks have a have somewhat of a time issue, and it can be, and we want to try and be flexible as we can. But we want the city council to continue to run the department, and the city staff to run the department because you know all of the priorities, and they get to pick them. Gotcha. That's clear as mud. <laughs> Thank you. Commissioner Howe, did you have any other any further advocacy for your motion? Or? No, just other than I think you've done good work up to date. I think this will improve the project, actually. And um, just keep going. And as you know, we're interested in the retail portion. Thank you very much. Thank you. Commissioner Howard? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Josh, for your energy. And thank you, more importantly, uh, all of you for, for building out the downtown. I'm, I moved up in here in 2012 and yeah, I, it was grim. It's getting better and I'm really, really looking forward to the next year as things come up. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, let's let's get it done. Let's uh, stay flexible. Let's keep mindful of retail. Um, and I look forward to seeing you back here working out, haggling out all the details. So thanks again and uh, I'll see you whatever it is you call it. Come back. Thanks. Thank you. And I'll be supporting the motion, uh, but I, I trust the city council and the same city manager to work out the appropriate balance between about about exactly who's in charge, about exactly what what is operational and which what is legislative and within the purview of the council. So, and I we got a bit into the weeds here, but I don't want to lose track of just the big picture, this is going to be a great improvement to downtown. Downtown is already much improved, and this will hopefully be at least one of the cherries on top. So 
I, and it's going to be 10 feet and 10 feet higher than the previous top, I guess. So, uh, so, so with that, uh, recording officer, uh, please conduct a roll call vote. Commissioner, Sh Commissioner Shukla. Yes. Chair Pine. Yes. Commissioner Howard. Yes. Vice Chair Iglesias. Yes. Commissioner Cerrone. Yes. Commissioner Howe. Yes. Commissioner Davis. Yes. The motion passes with seven yeses. Thank you. Uh, Thank and you. do we know when this will come to city council? Thank you, Josh. <laughs> yeah. uh, for the record, August 8th, August 8th was stated. That brings us to item five. Uh, 23-0717 selection of chair. Is there a staff report? No, no staff report. It's just a, a yep. usual item um, with the uh, new uh, planning commissioners in place. Uh, we do the selection of chair, vice chair. And, okay, uh, the chair time. will entertain nominations slash volunteers to be chair for next year. Uh, Vice Chair. Thank you, Chair. Um, I would nominate that you continue serving. Okay, yeah, I, I'm I'm, will, quite willing to continue serving. I'd be happy to defer to the Vice Chair if you wanted it, but I'm guessing from his nomination that that's negative, so... Uh, are there any other uh, nominations? Uh, Commissioner Howard. Is there anybody else who might want to be chair? You might want to speak up now. Then I second the nomination. Thank you. You don't need a second for nominations. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I withdraw my. Is there any further discussion? Well, I suppose we have to have a public hearing on this item. So uh, uh, I will open the public hearing. Uh, I have no speaker cards. Uh, recording officer, do I have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? We do not, Chair. Thank you. I will go ahead and close the public hearing and I'll now ask for a discussion or a motion from my colleagues. Uh, Commissioner Shukla. I think it's a great idea because we love we love your leadership and love your promptness. So I'm willing to have you for the next year as a as a chair and a vice chair. That's the, great. The, too. the chair will consider that a Oh, sorry. Okay, I'm just talking about the chair. Okay, but anyway, I'm very happy for you. Congratulations. Without vote, even okay. Shikla, was that a motion? I think yeah, I can. Okay, make the motion. thank you. Be happy to second it. Commissioner House seconds. Uh, I see no other hands. So recording officer, please conduct a roll call vote. Commissioner Cerrone. Yes. Commissioner Davis. Yes. Chair Pine. Yes. Vice Chair Iglesias. Yes. Commissioner Howard. Yes. Commissioner Howe. Yes. Commissioner Shukla. Yes. The motion passes with seven yeses. Thank you. And thank you to my fellow commissioners for the vote of confidence. Our next item is a uh, 23-0718 selection of vice chair. I assume there is similarly no staff report. Uh, correct, same process. Okay, <laughs> Commissioner Howe. I nominate the existing vice chair to be vice chair again, if he accepts it. Thank you, vice chair. I, I do accept, and I'm also excited with that acceptance. If anyone else is interested, I'm happy to hear that out as well. 
Thank you. Commissioner Howard? Only that I would encourage people to try to take turns it, it, for, for their own personal development as your volunteer serving the city. Uh, if you want to try out vice chair and try out chair, you should definitely be encouraged to do so. And I would be supportive of that, whoever you are. Thank you. Yes, the chair would. The chair is supportive of the motion generally, but would encourage people to. To volunteer if they so wish. I, uh, vice chair. I uh, nominate uh, Commissioner Cerrone. Uh, Commissioner Cerrone. Um, well, I, I appreciate that, but I would, uh, you know, I, uh, my vote would be for the current uh, chair. There's a learning curve. This vice chair. There's a there's a learning curve for uh, running the study issues and. Uh, I think uh, I think we have a good team in place, and I would next year. <laughs> yep, there is always next year. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, uh, Commissioner Howe, your hand is still up. Okay, I have no other hands at this time, so I will open the public hearing on this item. Shake Members of the public wishing to address the Planning Commission, please commit a speaker card to the recording officer. Use the raise hand feature now. Don't answer nine on telephone. Indicate to wish to speak. I will call members of the public participating in person. The recording officer will ask for to send me your hand as their turn to address the Planning Commission. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. Time will be displayed on the screen. I have no speaker cards and no in-person speakers. Recording officer, do I have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? We do not. Thank you. I'll go ahead and close the public hearing, and I will now ask for discussion or motion from my colleagues. Uh, Commissioner Howard. Microphone. I'm not exactly sure what I got to move, but I move that we vote on the nominee of the vice chair to vice chair of the vice chair. Okay. I second that. Commissioner Davis seconds. I see no further discussion. Recording officer, please conduct a roll call vote. Chair Pine. Yes. Commissioner Howard. Yes. Commissioner Davis? Yes. Commissioner Cerrone? Yes. Vice Chair Iglesias? Yes. Commissioner Shukla? Yes. Commissioner Howe? Yes. The motion passes with seven yeses. Thank you. Uh, that brings us to item 23-0719, selection of seats. Is there a staff report? Uh, again, no staff report for this one. <laughs> uh, typically, the selection of seats, uh, well, actually, a quick little thing, I guess. Um, We'll do some adjustments if the chair and vice chair and other um, places change, but in this case, nobody's switched. So it's up to you if you want to move around at all. Yep. Yep. And we traditionally do it in seniority order. So, uh, well, I'm obviously sitting right here, but uh, uh, Commissioner Howe. Yeah. If you, I just want to mention once again that I have a bit of an ADA issue and I need to be at one end of the dais. So, I so I would say to Commissioner Howe, uh, didn't we look at, when we looked at the new city hall layout? Didn't I feel like we discussed this that you might want to be on the other end? And yeah, I want to be the furthest there. as you're sitting on the dais, furthest on the left. Okay, yeah, that that's what I was just going to propose due to the way the super the thank new you building is laid out. Uh, Commissioner Howard, uh, I would be happy to switch seats with Commissioner Howe. So to speak, 
uh, he'll, he'll be down here by the door and I'll go down there in the corner. Okay. Uh, does anybody else have thoughts on where they would like to sit? Like I, 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 I can go, I can call people one at a time, but uh, Commissioner Shukla. I think I can sit the same place and have my my neighbors switch the place. <laughs> that should be good. Yeah, I like Thank I can you. yes, I can do this. Like I can like we would and like it. it does anybody else wish to move seats, wish to switch sides? I like we we I'd I'd propose we go by seniority order, but at, at this point it's easiest if anyone just yeah <laughs> okay in yes in that case i believe the proposal is that seat one is yeah uh seat one is commissioner howard seat seven is commissioner how uh seat three is commissioner davis everything else is status quo uh is it in order to proceed by general consent since we're all in person? Yes. Thank you. Uh, in that case, uh, Steph, was that captured? Just for clarity, could we go ahead and just read it um, from left to right? From uh, left to right, facing which who is left and who which which is left and which is right is what I'm asking. So it would be Howard and then. So how, so how. She's out there looking. Okay, so Commissioner Howard, Commissioner Cerrone, Commissioner Davis, Chair Pine, uh, Vice Chair Iglesias, Commissioner Shukla, Commissioner Howe. Understood, thank you. Thank you. Uh, is there objection to adopting the seat plan as read as the seat plan for the upcoming year. Seeing and hearing none, the motion is carried by general consent. I haven't gotten to do that in a while. Um, uh, that brings us to item number eight, standing item consideration of potential study issues. Uh, no, I did not do that right. Uh, uh, Yes, I will go ahead and open the public hearing on the uh, seat selection item. Uh, members of the public wishing to address the Planning Commission, please submit a speaker card to the recording officer. Use the raise hand feature now or dial star nine on telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call members of the public who are saying in person, person the recording officer will ask for more questions. When it is their turn to address the Planning Commission, speakers will have three minutes to speak time. Please play on the screen. Is anybody interested in speaking on the seat selection of uh, Planning Commissioners? I have no in-person participants. Recording officer, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? We do not, Chair. I'll go ahead and close the public hearing. Is there objection to adopting the seat plan? Seeing and hearing none, the seat plan remains adopted. Brings us to standing item consideration of potential study issues. Item A23-0720, Planning Commission Post Study Issues, Calendar 2024. This is information only. I don't think we need any to have any discussion on this. That brings us to non-agenda items and comments. Commissioner comments. I would just like to welcome Commissioner Davis aboard. They usually don't go quite this late. 
<laughs> but it's always fun to have a nice long meeting as your first one. Uh, how that brings us to staff comments. Uh, just one comment, um, the deep, uh, Department of Public Safety, uh, training regarding council chambers in the Bay Conference Room has been updated to Tuesday, September 26 from 6 to 7 p.m. And, uh, that's it. Thank you. And of course, the, uh, Moffat Park specific plan goes before council tomorrow night if anybody's interested in tuning into what should be a fun city council meeting. Uh, with that, that brings us to adjournment, uh, this meeting of the Sunnyvale Planning Commission is adjourned at 10.58 p.m. And I'd like to thank everybody for your participation in tonight's meeting. <laughs>